0: In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello, and welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Tom Sidlachik, and we've got a great show for you today. We're breaking down Taiki Waititi's seven feature-length films. Joining me for the discussion today are the ever-fancy Billy Perot. Hello! It's Billy Perry, but I just can't resist making that joke every single time, Billy. I'm sorry. Every single time. Every Every single time. time. Yeah. I
1: just laugh every time.
0: Yeah, it's it's great when I see you in the store too. It's like, oh,
1: you're Billy (laughs) Perot.
0: Also here is the amazing, incomparable Mrs. OIO, Phoenix Sidlachik. Hello. Welcome back to the show, you two. Billy, you recently had surgery on
1: your genitals. How was that experience for you? I did, yes. I took the leap, just like all of you guys, and uh, we're doing fine. It's two weeks after, and uh, mobility is back. Uh, not lifting too heavy stuff yet, but, you know, we'll get there.
0: Yep,
2: doing uh, Okay.
1: How does it feel to be the uh, second person to be questioned about your testicles on Outside is Overrated? Ooh, the second person. It's an honor. This is a tradition that's going to continue. I'm glad to be a part of it. Yeah, no,
0: it it definitely will. It it definitely will. Vini, you recently had a big milestone birthday for your 40th. We rented a beautiful cabin on a bluff in the remote North Shore of Minnesota. How was our romantic gaming getaway in your experience?
3: Nightmarish.
0: (laughs) Nightmarish? Honey, what happened? I had just a ball.
3: Well, it starts with the stomach flu with the daughter, you know, staying up late with her, and then we... Yeah, the
0: emergency trip to the pediatrician (laughs) to (laughs) kick off that trip is always, always a great way to start a relaxing vacation.
3: But we get a call, and she says that, you know, they had a big ice storm, you know, and the people stay in the next cabin. They've had to walk up the hill. It's only about two blocks, you know, just park by the dumpster. You can walk on the edge. I know you have a kid. It should be okay. She was kind of downplaying it. And she's like, do you want to postpone or still do it? And we're like, well, we're rugged. We can do this. So we get there and... We're... It, it is the hill from hell. <laughs> <laughs> like, it,
0: you picture the Vikings winning the Super Bowl and has literally frozen over and you have this hill that we're staying on.
3: So we get there and we are looking for the dumpster. And... We passed this truck, and it says Iowa Plates on it. I'm like, looking at the road, it seemed way far longer than she said, but we saw a car parked at the top of this curve of the hill, so we're like, we'll keep going. So we kept going, and we're driving just fine. We get around the car, and we turn the corner, and we're like, oh, crap. We were supposed to park way down the hill, which was about a mile, and... So we try to go a little bit further and then all of a sudden we are going backwards down the ice. We
0: we... lost our forward momentum and we slid backwards off the road into a big rut in the ditch that the sand truck had made when the sand truck slid off this road.
3: So we were stuck there and... Tom trucked back to see if he could get any of our luggage. Well, when we first got there, there was someone in the house, and we we're trying to figure out what the was going on.
0: Super creepy. Like, we're in this remote cabin in the middle of the woods, and, like, we trudge up this icy hill with our daughters, and uh, we get to the cabin, and, like, there's no car parked outside, but there is a human being inside the cabin.
3: So I call her. She says it's the cleaner, and it turns out it was a cleaner that was parked at the top of the hill. So, and... But anyways, Tom can't open the back of the truck because we're up against a tree. So we call AAA. Turns out they can't get a truck to us. But this poor guy who worked out of the zone tried to help us.
0: Yeah. uh, Two Harbors Towing is the greatest company on planet Earth. Because AAA actually called him and said, don't come. We're not going to pay you to come. And he came to rescue us anyway. So big shout out to to Two Harbors Towing.
3: So he came, and I. it's almost like 9 o'clock at night. The girls should be going down to bed, and he says, I can't tow you guys down. It's too icy. I can't do it. And so
0: The best he could do was charge us $300 to winch us about a foot so that we were at least out of the ditch and now parked perpendicular to the road.
3: And then after that, um, we put the girls to bed, and Tom, the next day, the hero that he is, he sanded the whole road. He... <laughs> I was trekking up and down with snowshoes on the ice with bucket after bucket to sand the road to get us out.
0: Yeah, getting in the car to drive down that icy death hill was one of the scariest things that I've done in recent memory. Like, I didn't think I was going to die. I wouldn't have done it if I thought it was likely that I was going to die. But, yeah. like, it's a big icy hill. Like, there was potential for catastrophe
3: there. But, the bu- you know, and then walking the girls down the hill to the car and we're just like, we're done, we're going home. It's just like... I don't know how she expected us to lug all our food, groceries, luggage a mile up a hill that was curvy and full of ice. I still don't understand.
0: I mean, I couldn't, I literally couldn't make it from the car, where the car got stuck, to the cabin with any of our gear. Yeah. It was just nightmarish. I took a video of it just in case they uh, contested us asking for a refund.
3: Yeah. So and mm-hmm. and then when we got back, horse Daisy got the stomach flu and so
0: So we had two kids <laughs> barfing within three days of each other and uh car went off the ditch, technically a car accident. Yeah. Had to cancel your romantic cabin getaway for your yeah. birthday. So uh how's Forty treating you, honey?
3: Uh it's been rough so far, so we'll see. Hopefully it'll <laughs> pick up here soon. <laughs> yeah, well two uh... stars. Two stars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> two stars for Forty. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. Please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash oio. That's patreon.com slash oio. You can pledge as little as $2 a month to support the show. That helps us pay for all of the media that we consume for the show. We have a website that costs about $100 a year. There's, uh, there's a lot of expenses that go into producing a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. So if you enjoy the content... Please support us at patreon.com slash OIO. You can also follow us on social, email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow me at TomSidlogicOIO on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can follow Phoenix at PhoenixSidlogicOIO on Instagram. And you can follow the show at facebook.com slash outsideisoverrated. If you want to follow follow Billy, you can just go to his house, knock on the door, and uh, follow him to work one day. It's a good time. Hello.
1: It's true, yes. We can go have lunch with Tom and Phoenix, since I work in Roseville.
0: That would be awesome. We're going to start our discussion talking about coming-of-age movies. Each year, we take a director, watch his catalog of films, break down their style, and then rank their films. In the past, we've covered Guy Ritchie, Quentin Tarantino, Peter Jackson, and now Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. I'm nailed gonna it.
3: butcher it. I'm sorry.
0: I'll I got it. that one. They I've been practicing it. this so much. I haven't practiced it, practiced any of the actors' <clears> names. So Chris Heemsworth better watch out.
3: <laughs> sorry, I'm
1: just laughing because Scott is probably already so pissed off how much we're gonna butcher and already have butchered. Is his
3: he names. a huge fan or what?
1: No, he just likes to give us. <laughs> so yeah. okay, it's it's gonna be. I think it all stemmed from. Oh, God, where did it stem from? It was one of the episodes I think we did together, and I butchered it, like, absolutely horribly, and he just wouldn't stop relentlessly giving me for it.
0: If you're a fan of those other directors, jump back in the OIO podcast feed and check out some of those other shows. For the purpose of this discussion, we are only breaking down Taiki's... Oh, I did it already. Taika's. Taika? Taika. We're only (laughs) breaking down Taika's feature films. Take that, Scott.
3: Yeah, get a drink out, Scott, and just... (laughs) Drink every time we do it wrong.
1: Don't do it on a work day, day, please. Yeah. Be safe. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic drinking game.
3: No, we're going to just do it wrong every point we can. So. Yeah.
0: Hold on tight, everyone. By breaking down just Taika's feature films, this keeps the format consistent with the other directors we've discussed, but it is something of a disservice to ITD. On a whim, at nearly 30 years old, Taika directed his first project, a short film titled Two Cars, One Night. It was nominated for an Oscar. Since then, he has compiled a total of 32 directing credits on IMDb, including seven feature films, a number of shorts, TV series, and commercials.
3: So, the Academy Award, I showed you the video where he was pretending to be asleep when they announced his name. He tried to get every single director... From that short to be asleep when they announced the name but no one would do it with him he just did it himself and you can go online and see the clip of him and
0: what a fascinating thing because like he's the new kid on the block that is literally the first video project he's ever directed and he gets nominated for an oscar tries to talk everyone to pretending to be asleep like yeah dude is a character yes oh
1: yes absolutely
0: coming into this show i had only seen his thor movies phoenix was in the same boat as me and billy i know you had enjoyed jojo rabbit Feeney you're, the mm-hmm. driving for- right. Feeney, you're the driving force for this episode. What drew you to have us cover Taiko Waititi?
3: I was curious about his other films. I had seen the trailer for Jojo Rabbit and was very interested in it because of World War II, the subject. And then I also remember your sister talking about the hunt for wilder people. Yep, you got wilder it. Wilder people. And so I was just very intrigued with him as far as his films and also... I guess why did Marvel choose him because of the way his films are or the titles and he doesn't have a lot of heavy films under his belt that I knew of until we watched it. So
0: Yeah, an interesting choice to bring in while the MCU is so well established. Billy, what was your
1: initial thought when we said that we wanted to tackle Taika this year? Yeah, I th- I thought that was really cool. I had I known his I I swear I've only heard his name in probably the last decade. Maybe even shorter than that. Um, Jojo Rabbit, I think we, Michelle and I, my wife, uh, we were on probably HBO Max or Vudu, and we were just looking at trailers for movies, and we came across that one and watched it and thought it was fantastic, and so we played it. We saw this director that we couldn't even pronounce his name. The movie was just absolutely fantastic, and we'll get into that in later in the episode. But uh yeah, that was the first time I heard him, and then when the Thor movie, when Ragnarok and Love and Thunder came out, I was like, "Wow, this guy's just kind of blowing up out of nowhere." And then what we do in the shadows and so on and so forth. So it just seems like he kind of just blew up out of nothing. And so yeah, I'm really happy for this episode. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, it was definitely interesting to dive into. For our discussion today, we're going to break his films
0: into three main buckets. There's Transformation Tales, there's the Thor movies, and then there's the two leftovers. Three of his films fit together nicely as the transformation of a young boy or a coming-of-age story. The first film is Boy. It was released in 2010. It follows 11-year-old Elamine or Boy, as he serves as the de facto head of his family. His mother is dead, his father is an absentee criminal, and he lives with a gaggle of other kids at his nan's house. His dad comes back into the picture to try to find money that he had buried years previously on the property. The film follows Alamine as he tries to live up to his father's expectations, his own expectations for his father, and his responsibilities to his family and friends. This film has a Metacritic rating of 70. It stars James Rolleston as Boy. He has 14 acting credits. Taika Waititi plays Alamine, his father, and... Tiaho Ekatonwitu plays Rocky, the little brother. He only has two other acting credits, despite having a rather prominent role in this film. The next film will break up or will break down. in this section is *Hunt for the Wilder People*. This released in 2016. Troubled youth Ricky Baker is relocated to a new foster home on the edge of the bush in New Zealand. When his foster mom dies, he faces juvie. He and his foster father flee to the bush, sparking a months-long manhunt. Fat, useless Ricky bonds with his crusty curmudgeon Uncle Heck as the two learn to survive and coexist together. This film has a Metacritic rating of 81, and I am going to go absolutely off about Metacritic a little later in this show. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People stars Sam Neill as Uncle Heck and Julia Dennison as Ricky Baker. I I must have messed up that name. Like, that boy's name is not Julia, right? Julian?
3: Um, I don't know. We could look up real quick. I don't
0: Yeah, why don't you check on uh, IMDb on your phone while I keep reading on and rue my typo. The third film for this bucket is Jojo Rabbit, Taika Waititi's most recent film, released in 2019. It follows 10-year-old Jojo as his hero and imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler. Jojo desperately wants to be a Nazi, and then he discovers his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in the house. He has to make sense of his first-hand observations of life and then balance those against the, indo- the Nazi indoctrination. This film is set in just in Berlin as the city is about to fall to the Allies. Uh, and it was Julian Denison played Ricky Baker. Not Julia, Julian, My apologies to the actor. Uh, Jojo Rabbit has a Metacritic rating of 58. It stars Roman, Griffin, Davis as Jojo. It's the first of three acting credits for the young... Leading man. Uh, Thomason McKenzie plays Elsa. She has 28 acting credits. Scarlett Johansson plays Ro- Rosie. Taika Waititi plays Adolf Hitler. He is, of course, known from all of the Taika Waititi movies. And Sam Rockwell plays Captain Klensdorf with a stellar 114 acting credits. So three films, three young boys who face a major transformation in their life. Phoenix, I'll start with you. Which of these three main protagonists really grabbed you?
3: Um, It was Boy. I mean, I love the film. And I just, Boy, the whole film itself. But the character of Boy, just his childhood, you know, he still kind of has one toe in childhood, in a sense, with his imagination, the way he wants to be playing and stuff. But you can see him kind of edging into the young man too so he's kind of toying that line and then his father comes home and just the hero worship he has for him and just the progression of him with the hero worship to actually be confronted who his father really is to standing up to his father is just a beautiful transformation and the way the actor is able to do it his eyes his emotions, everything was just beautifully done. It's an incredible film, and just, I would recommend it to anyone, but I just really fell in love with this whole story about him. But also a lot of the supporting characters around him helped this whole transformation, too. And it's, I think he's one of the best, I think, so.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned the supporting characters around him. For me, Boy was all about Boy and his father, Elamin, uh played by Taika Waititi. Everyone else I could basically leave in that film, except for Rocky. Rocky hit me in the feels a couple of times with his creativity.
3: Well, they're kind of like a painting in the background. You know, you have the two main characters up front of the painting, but in the background, to create the whole picture, you have to have these little pieces. His brother, you know, the story he tells his brother and why their mother died, you know, his imagination, and, you know, his friends, and his love interests, they all play a role in his way of thinking and trying to transform Maine. And the weirdo, I mean, the guy he never talked to and called weirdo, and he's the one that saved him from the river, you know. It's just everyone had a piece that touched him that helped, you know, create the story and this progression for him through the story.
0: That's a good point. Billy, what were your thoughts on Boy?
1: I was really really pleasantly surprised with this movie. I I I came in just completely blind, like you guys did, not even knowing that he created this film and directed. I I I was blown away. I really was. I mean, it hit you in the feels the entire time. It was funny. Um a transformation for boy just what he goes through. I mean, you can see the struggles in the family dynamic in the very beginning meeting his father wanting to be like his father and then seeing who he truly is. And then the redemption story at the end where he stands up to him, that slap in the face, yes. you know, when he, Oh my God, like what a powerful scene that was. And I, uh, I'll get into more detail of Taika as a director later. And he can tug at the heartstrings and he can really, really, really do well at like capturing that on film. And so, uh, the, the kid who just who played boy what a phenomenal actor i mean for such a young age i mean he really so he sold it he was great so what a what a what a treat that movie was it really was it was what a great surprise i think that one of the things that
0: really stands out about taika waititi's directing is that he can take a no credit actor and really craft a fantastic and creative story around them i think that's going to be a consistent Uh theme as we talk through a lot of these movies phoenix i know that Uh the slap was a big moment for you too what (laughs) was it that stands out to you about that scene this whole movie boy is looking up to his father and desperately trying to fit in and like be the young gangster that he thinks his father wants him to be
3: well it's just interesting because you i've seen films like this in ways and you you want the kid to just stand up or do something to make the father listen or look at them or something and And he actually does something because a lot of times films, the kid doesn't per se, but he just, when that slap came out of nowhere, I'm just like, holy, he did it. He did it. He, Mm -hmm. you know, confronted his father and slapped him to try to knock some sense into him. And I mean, it wasn't a wimpy slap either. (laughs) It was too heavy hearting wax that's like really hard and it just caught you off guard because you didn't expect it from a film like this in ways
0: and i think it shows boy's character because elamine desperately needed someone to slap some sense into him. like that character that man was just a mess like he was a total pos and like the whole film like you just love to hate him because like he's really charming and everyone kind of likes him and wants to be buddies with him but but he's just a total piece of crap and like everything he does is just, just like a putting down his children or putting himself first or just completely self centered. And uh, the slap was a really powerful
1: moment.
3: Did that really surprise you, you Billy?
1: It did, because I agree with you in the fact that like movies that we've all watched beforehand. Yeah. You, you really do want the son or the child to get their, You know, their come up. It's when it comes to the parent that has treated them like absolute garbage. And yeah, it does happen, you know what I mean? Because usually it's like the father stops the the fist or they try to rage out and they get stopped and put in their place, and for, not put in their place, that sounds mean, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but in the father's eyes, put in their place, you know? Um, and so to actually see it just happen and it takes you by such surprise too, you know what I mean? Because you think he's just going to pull Rocky back and be like, don't touch my brother. And then bam, just that hit. Yeah. really kind of just echoed through that scene. So yeah, yeah, so I, I totally agree with that. Phoenix, going back to the
0: Clerks show for a minute, you loved Clerks and you talked about how it was a masterpiece and it was an artistic film because it showed a day in the life at this convenience store. I think Boy is very similar in that vein. Like, it shows a slice of life in this uh, New Zealand village with extreme poverty and it shows, like, a very vivid picture of what this boy's life was like.
3: Well, this film, it just. It has stuck with me. I've been thinking about it a lot. And when films stick with you and you keep thinking about it after the fact of watching it, it's just it make, you know, it was a great film because you keep thinking about it. But it, to me, it felt like a heavy duty piece of life, like an Arthur Miller play is. I mean, if you've ever seen an Arthur Miller play, it's about a life of a family. And there's something at the end that really gut wrenches you at the end. And Also, it's like, um, I wish I could remember the name of the movie with James Dean, where he is trying to give money to his father and his father won't accept it. And it was just beautifully acted by James Dean. And it's just those type of films about family and struggles and fathers. And if it's really well done, like he did with this film and it just, it sticks with you and it just pulls at your heartstrings. And that's what this did. And I I think it is a wonderful film that people should see because I think it's probably one of his top films and I just don't think a lot of people will see it because it is a New, Le- New Zealand storyline, a New Zealand based type story, you know, unless you really want to see all his films. But
0: It's interesting. I think this film was phenomenally well done. I think Boy is just a terrific film, wonderfully shot, wonderfully acted, wonderfully put together, but I'll probably never watch it again. Just because it doesn't have, uh, it's a very interesting portrait of this boy's life, but like, I don't know. I want more of a ride for my entertainment. Like, I I see this section of life, and it's very powerful, and now I want to uh, go watch The Batman.
3: Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, my range of films, I guess, that I was raised on is just, you know, it's just, I have this wide range. Um, but it's a movie that I definitely maybe would see again because it just... It's a fascinating film, and just to watch again to see if I catch anything that I missed the first time, but it's something I would watch again, I guess I would say. <laughs> so.
0: Well, I guess I'll watch it if you watch it, honey. Billy, which which
1: uh, side of this fence are you on? I would, I, I'm going to recommend this movie to a lot of people. Um, if uh, Michelle didn't watch it with me, but I would watch it again with her. Um, I don't think it's one that I would come back to on, like... A dis- like if i was deciding on a movie to watch i wouldn't choose that one not that it's not a great movie um but it's one of those movies that if i still had cable and it was on and i was channel surfing i would stop and rewatch watch it again does that make sense yeah. you know um what did phoenix think? i think the, the james Dean movie you were talking about before yeah. is that east of eden
3: it must be easting because they only did like Four films was it three or four
1: I, I think it's yeah i think it's east of eden that you were talking about yeah. sorry i just wanted to yeah i think
3: that. it's east of eden because yeah it's not rebel without a cause and um giant but um yeah. but it's the one bein that my, isn't as... my money
1: and my life or something like that yeah it's it's yeah. probably a two decades since i've watched that movie but um no that was a good comparison it is one of those movies that does capture the family dynamic and a very uh, you know a, a very different family dynamic than what you see in like glittered Hollywood and everything. And so I thought it was beautifully well done.
3: And that's the other thing about the film. I feel like it can translate, even though it's about New Zealand, but it can translate to rural America in a sense. Mm-hmm. Put it uh, down south or somewhere with a different family, it still translates universally to the type of things that they are dealing with. You know, every family, mm-hmm. money, or someone that just got jailed. It's a very universal story.
0: Well, speaking of things that would translate well, let's move on to Hunt for the Wilder People and protagonist Ricky Baker. Ricky was a troubled youth. He got shuttled around a bunch of different foster homes, and he winds up in this rural community as kind of a last chance before he's shipped off to Juvie. Billy, what stood out to you about uh, Ricky Baker in Hunt for the Wilder People?
1: Mm, Yeah, Ricky. What a character. (laughs) What a... What a great character he is and what a great actor that kid is. Um yeah. he is <laughs> yeah, you know, he 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 played the I, I guess to use the term juvenile delinquent really well. You know? He he sold that role. He sold that, that whole thing and his his realizing that this family, especially the auntie. Um, truly did love him, you know what I mean? And you can see how much he wants to hold on to, um, you know, wanting to be loved by Uncle Heck the entire time. Um, but also the comedic side of him, you know, where he thinks he's a gangster, his dog's his name is Tupac. I mean, it just really, you really, really do love this kid for, you know, all the mistakes he had in his past and stuff like that. You can see that he just truly wants to be loved. So this was just a sweet movie to watch. It really was.
3: So, babe, why do you like Ricky Baker so much?
0: I like him because they play with our misconceptions. They set him up as a bad kid. Like, he's riding in the police car and the Child Protective Services lady is talking down to him. And, like, he gets out of the car. He looks at the farm and he just gets back in the car. Like, nope, not going to do it. Like, he seems very stubborn. He seems very headstrong. He runs away the first night. It's like, okay, I know what kind of kid this is. Like, this is a little butthole and like just gonna hate him the whole film and it turns out that was you know i had all those biases going in because like i have this picture in my head of what a juvenile delinquent is and what a what bad people they are and this was just a sweet kid and the system failed him and it's like oh my god you hear Mm -hmm. all these stories about kids like in bad foster situations like are these bad kids or is it a bad system like are we wrong about every single kid that we've ever heard was a bad kid in foster care
3: no, it's a good point. I mean, Ricky is very interesting character. And again, w- what Taika can do is um, take these very fascinating characters and make them more complex than we see on the surface. And I truly enjoyed watching Ricky develop as a person or just be able to blossom. Because he probably kept everything sort of tight in, you know, just had a shell but as he blossomed out in the bush it was kind of fun to see his innocence and the way he viewed things while doing stuff and trying to go hunt and then trying to entertain himself while having a Walkman it just it was beautifully done as far as you know his view of life from this kid who was a foster kid to all of a sudden being in the bush he just handled it so beautifully and it was wonderfully done
0: and there were a lot of very funny moments that helped offset some of the heavier moments of this film but billy i don't think that ricky baker was your favorite protagonist in this film who stood out to you in hunt for the wilder people
1: local oh, Heck. one it's sam neill
0: I
2: you oh, can't yeah. go wrong with
1: sam neill um what a cool character you know like it, I, i've seen this this trope of the father figure being a grump and telling the kid in his life that's trying to look up to him as a parent uh you know i've seen that over and over again it plays out in you know uh wolverine you know with with the little girl you know you you, you see it all the time in hollywood um but it turns out you know he 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 just he just he did it so well you know what I mean he turned into you know finding that this he had just wants nothing but to be a part of his family and it took him forever you know he hated him in his own way through the entire film up until what ten minutes you know true <laughs> he yeah. loved him he loved him at a distance the entire movie you know what I mean and I I thought they him really well because he was still going to protect him you know and then he did the sweet thing of like have an auntie you know her ashes with him the entire time and that really moved him but he still kind of kept him at that distance and Sam Neill's just a fantastic actor and is, you know, in anything that he does, yeah. and this role was this role was just perfect for him. I thought he did great. And, you know, he's an Irish guy who's doing an Australian accent, so that True. was also <laughs> that was also fun to listen to. You'd, you'd catch the little, yeah, you know, the little words here and there, and the Irish accent would come out. So that was that was a fun one. No, yeah, Sam but, yeah, Neal was I, I have to give it up to him for sure as my favorite in this
3: movie. Yeah, no, he was great. I just I love Sam Neil, and anything he does is just fantastic, and. I have to agree on all the points. I mean, the character is well, a great balance to Ricky, and the way he wrote the two characters, it was fantastic to have this in, yin and yang between the two of uh, Ricky and the Uncle Hack, you know, kind of sort of trying to come together as a family, but they're still, one's still trying to fight it, one's trying to get him to accept it, and it's just, This fun little battle to watch between the two with their interactions, their conversations, but also surviving out in the bush together. Uh It's just amazing to watch it all come together.
0: Well, like the grizzled old man who's supposed to be the one to survive in the bush breaks his foot and literally has to stay immobile for weeks. That's true. the, The fat kid has to do everything to... Uh, help them survive basically and they come back to that with a hilarious joke later i think it's my favorite joke in any of the taika waititi stuff but there's this huge manhunt to find uncle heck and ricky out in the bush and they come across some hunters and hunters are asking ricky if he's okay if uncle heck did anything to him and uh there's just this hilarious miscommunication where ricky's like well yeah he made me do stuff and like in ricky's mind he's explaining he had to like learn how to hunt and like get the plants and build the shelter and like do all the survival things but the way he articulated it was like yeah he made me do stuff and you know it was hard at first because my hands are so soft but <laughs> and it's just the joke kept going and going I thought it was just hilarious I really really enjoyed Hunt for the Wilder People
1: I uh I have to give it up to another joke that they did in there which was the Lord of the Rings reference when they were being chased I don't recall that off the top of my head don't. Oh my gosh, when they're when they're being chased by the police and by child services, they hide down like under a tree. Oh, like that's the right. I remember. Lord of the Ring. <laughs> yes. And they're being quiet. <laughs> and um Ricky turns over and goes, It's just like Lord of the Rings. And Uncle <laughs> is like, What? And then they finally pass. And he's like, I've been trying to tell you, it's just like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought that was great.
3: It was great.
0: Ricky Baker almost has a Quentin Tarantino sense of like pop culture. Like he's constantly referencing movies and other moments from pop culture. I thought it was very funny and really interesting.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: One more protagonist from these three films to discuss. From Jojo Rabbit, we have young Jojo. Billy, you had seen this film before. What did you think of uh, Roman Griffin Davis's? portrayal of jojo as his first major acting role his first credited acting role
1: yeah i thought it was great i mean what a uh what a fantastic kid to do this and like he plays the uh the fanatical you know youth nazi almost too well
3: but <laughs> it was true great. yeah it's true
0: i thought it was fascinating um, i thought it was interesting to see him struggle with his own observations versus the indoctrination like I know that Nazis did a lot of propaganda, but in Phoenix, you're much more of a history buff than me. Like, how intense was it for these kids in Nazi Germany?
3: Well, I just remember in history class, the teacher was talking about how they would, um, when they bring the lunch in, they would have the teacher say, who do we thank for the food? And they're, no, not God. Who do we thank? And then they had to bow their heads and thank Adolf Hitler for their food. And so it started pretty much in elementary school all the way through. And that was one of their techniques for the kids was to ingrate it in the school and praying to Adolf Hitler for our bounty of food that we're about to eat. So...
0: One of the th- one thing that really stuck with me in this film is there's a scene with Jojo and his mother at the dinner table, and his mother's trying to explain in a very adult way that war is dumb, people are dying, and it's an unnecessary point of life, and Jojo's just spouting off all this Nazi uh, rubbish about how they're going to crush their enemies into dust, and it was just... it's interesting, because, like, you're following the protagonist. You're supposed to be on the protagonist's side, right? And, like, in that moment, I realized, oh, this protagonist does not understand the world, so, like, this is kind of an unreliable narrator-type situation. Like, I want... I want everything to work out for Jojo, but he does not know how
1: all these pieces fit together. He doesn't. He doesn't understand what's actually happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that whole nature versus nurture aspect, especially back in World War II. And I thought they did a really good job with that, with how absolutely zero like research Taika did in the role of Adolf. He did purposely made this movie a not buying any books that would support that or anything. He wanted this to be a farce and to make fun of Hitler, especially the character that he played. Um the the sneaking around and the, you know, of of the uh the uh the the Jewish girl, you know, you know everything that he did in this film he did really well because you know, you believe Jojo is this fanatic and this is the life he is meant to live because he believes his father is off in Italy fighting, fighting and he wants to be like his dad, has no idea what his mom is up to. And so, yeah, it's that nature versus nurture thing. Cause you know, he, he believes, he hears it every single day, you know, and Phoenix is right. That's what they taught those kids. You know, you were just ingrained in their heads every single day and so you just kind of go oh okay well everybody else is doing it and this is exactly what i'm supposed to believe so that for for a farce of a movie uh, a farce of a movie you know what i mean like (laughs) the for what they did with this movie they scarily did the fascism very well
3: and it is interesting with how they how he brought it in as far as what they were told what Jews did and especially you know at the camp you hear a little bit about it but him through the book and her trying to you know just
0: let's set that up just a little bit more like uh, at one point, Jojo decides he's going to write a book about Jews. I forget what he was trying to accomplish. Like, he wanted to give it to Adolf or he wanted to establish himself as a Nazi, but he, he tried to write an expose on Jews. And so he just took all of these nonsensical things that he was hearing from all these sources and compiled them. Like, everything from, like, uh, he asked the girl where her horns were, and she asked, and he, like, asked all these just crazy things. And it was a very when they come back to the book at the end of the movie and like they start flipping through it it's like oh my goodness this is wild
3: it is and i guess that's one credit to this film was just showing us a glimpse of what the germans were told or you know what they believed in a sense you know about these uh, people
0: i know i like this film a lot more than you phoenix and that It's stuck with me. and It's one that I've been thinking about. And I think I just put my finger on it. I'm going to compare it to one of my favorite movies. You know I love Shutter Island. You know that Shutter Island is one of my absolute favorite films in the world. And one of the reasons I love that is because you don't know what's actually going on. Like, you don't realize the hook. And, like, even though I've seen that movie, like, maybe ten times now, I still enjoy watching the revelation at the end. Every single time. Uh, With Shutter Island, you know, there's a big dramatic reveal when suddenly everything is switched with... Jojo Rabbit like I realized towards the end of the film that like I didn't realize everything that was going on and it had that same kind of revelation to me when like Jojo finally realized that Nazis are bad it's like it it was just very interesting for me to try to put myself in that kid's uh, position and be like okay how did my brain work at 10 10 years old how did I process that information like I don't know I thought this film was the most thought provoking out of Taika Waititi's films for me I have,
1: I, I I it has been a while since I have watched a movie that made me audibly gasp and then cry when Jojo is following the butterfly. Can I spoiler mm-hmm. for this movie? Is that okay?
0: Yeah, uh, spoiler Spo- alert on Jojo Rabbit.
1: Okay, when uh, the scene with his when he's following the butterfly on the streets, and you see him crouch down and as he starts to stand back up, as the camera raises with him, his mother's shoes come into frame because she's been hung. I haven't... It's been a while since I've seen such a powerful scene, and I watched it for the second time last night just preparing for the show. Same reaction. So, I mean, the man is good at his powerful scenes, and boy, that was... Crazy, and you can just see the shift of Jojo as a character change right then and there. You know what I mean? Like maybe this all wasn't worth it. They're actually the bad guys. Never thought they would hurt them because he's been so loyal to them and everything. And thinking his mother has been entirely loyal this this whole time too. It was just holy cow! What a movie! It's a very
0: strong moment. Phoenix, I thought it was very off color when you cheered at that. I did not. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, is it fair to say that you hated Rosie with a burning, fiery passion? Okay,
3: I did not like her character. Okay, I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but no, I did not like her character. But um, no, I mean, going back to that scene, I mean, he, when he creates these poignant films, uh, scenes, I mean, it is, he does it in such a way that makes it so much more powerful because. He could have showed her face. He could have showed her body. But it didn't give us this deep gut-wrenching reaction versus looking at her shoes. I mean, that really... Because if you watch the film she's always wearing the shoes it kind of shows her wearing the shoes a lot because he knew this scene was going to come up so he had to make sure you knew what shoe she was wearing
0: he set this up masterfully because like i have never in any film i've ever watched identified a person by a pair of shoes in a shot and recognized like the significance of it like hats off to take on that like that was masterfully done
3: because you know he always purposefully showed her dancing with the shoes you know so if not being aware of what's hemming up I mean he just does it beautifully and you know you never once see her face you see it far shot away but I mean he did it in a way that just gutted you way more than just showing her the her whole body just hanging there So.
0: and I didn't mean to poke at you for <laughs> <laughs> cheering during this big dramatic scene uh, what I wanted to transition to was I know you didn't like the character of Rosie very much so I wanted to discuss why she kind of fell flat for you
3: it's, I'm having a hard time struggling trying to figure out what the issue was. Um, I guess, you know, I never lived through war. I, it's hard for me to say anything, but it's just I had a hard time because her character was very inconsistent. She was sort of like JoJo in ways. way. She had a lot of imagination. She was kind of not all there in this, in um, reality, it felt like. I felt like her most real scenes was with the girl at certain points, but with Jojo, I felt like she was never truly really herself with Jojo. And I don't know if that kind of gave him the type of how he viewed the world because she wasn't truly, I don't know if because the death of the daughter kind of shifted her in a certain way. So.
1: Oh no, I didn't mean to interrupt. Keep going. Yeah. I'll, I'll speak after.
3: Yeah. No, I just, I just, you know, The whole film, I can see the progression of the boy, and I can see him turning a little bit here and there, but I guess I didn't see the turn as strongly in some of his other films versus um, Boy, or um, I'm trying to think of another one, but he does shift where he believes they're doing wrong when he confronts um, uh, his imaginary friend, Adolf Hitler, but it's just I guess it was a little harder it wasn't as strong as say boy was where you saw it clearly you know he was very lost and sad when his mom died but he got caught up and lost and was scared during the whole raid he didn't you know run immediately back to the house to try to you know lock down the house and protect the girl you know so i felt like he was a little more selfish than even up to the end with the girl but he does change after he confronts hitler i guess i'm thinking about now once he confronts his imaginary friend he does realize he made a mistake i guess that's more the shift he makes is when he confronts his friend so
1: i can see it as more of a subtle change than so dramatically like in the past movies and everything you know you see the slap from boy you see the death of auntie and the death of the dog happen and the love of uncle heck in wilder people it it's kind of in your face a little bit more i think this is more subtly done and i i i personally appreciated the way that it was done i mean you can see his fanaticism come out at that dinner scene that you were talking about phoenix between him and his mother um i think the shift that you see with her character is actually when she pretends to be his father, you know, and she slathers her face and fireplace ash. You, I think that's when you see her frustration with she's losing her son to these thoughts, come out, but as the father and not the mother. You know what I mean? I don't think she has ever been able to say it. And so when, you know, she slams her fist on the table and, you know, don't you ever speak to your GD mother like that again? Do you understand me? You need to protect her. She needs you. You know what I mean? So I think her breakthrough was as the father. You know, she doesn't have him anymore. She doesn't have her daughter anymore. She's losing her son to this, you know, even though she knows the war is ending. You know what I mean? Like, she knows all of this is coming to a close, but she's still, like, so internally frightened for her son. Um, so I think, yeah, I I, I I agree with you. It's It's not as... It's not as upfront as most of the other changes for the protagonists happened. I think the subtle way that they did it is how I enjoyed it. And then they added the quirky kicking Hitler through the window thing at the end too as yeah. like the ultimate turnaround time. I just, that was great. But uh, yeah, I guess... Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to jump back and forth with that on you. I thought that was a good point.
3: No, I mean, it's I I I can see your points and what you're bringing through. I, I can picture it a little bit better, but I just... um. As a mother, I just have a hard time that she would, but again, I didn't live through war, so I don't know what it was like. Do you leave the kids to the house by themselves Mm -hmm. for so long? Do you, I mean, I understand she was trying to help bring the end to the war, but I guess if I had my two girls at home, would I jeopardize, you know, I know my husband's out there trying to bring go against the Nazis do I jeopardize myself you know
0: uh quick correction your husband's out there dragging 5 gallon buckets <laughs> of sand up the GD hill
1: <laughs> not all heroes not all heroes wear capes yes. some of them carry sand buckets so no,
3: that's... I, I guess that it was it was I, i've been noticing watching films since becoming a mother that my sh- there's been a slight shift when i view certain films lately and it's been kind of interesting in myself watching films like okay you know before I've been this way but now I'm kind of you know so it's just kind of interesting for myself but who would have thought I them respect
1: that because i'm not a parent so that is a completely i i absolutely love your opinion on what you thought about it and that's fat i would love to talk to you more about that yeah. how you view movies now as a parent as beforehand so yeah that's another topic for another day tom yeah. sorry for interrupting
0: <laughs> who would have thought that it would be the male co-host of Outsiders is overrated that came to scarlett johansson's defense weird right
3: well it's just i'm sorry i just i guess i've never really liked her as an actress as much either and that I'm trying to hold back on that feeling of her, but you know, it's just Don Juan is probably the only film I truly enjoyed her in. But I just, I just never, I've seen her in tons of films. I've just never really been a big fan. So, yeah,
0: no comment except <laughs> she pretty.
3: Another character in this
0: film that uh, stood out to me, and I see that it stood out to Billy too Captain Clensendorf. Kletzendorf. I should have double-checked that. Uh, but Captain Kleinsendorf. K. Clensendorf. Billy, what made this character stand out
1: to you? And then I'll add my own thoughts on top of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, for one, Sam Rockwell. We can all probably agree to that. Amen. You know, <laughs> enough said there. Yes. That's all I have to say. It's uh, Sam Rockwell. And I could probably just be done talking right yep. now. And I could, you know, everybody would go at home listening to this is just nodding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, Unzendorf, what a funny character he was, this, you know, fallen Nazi soldier who wanted nothing but glory and then has to go ahead.
0: Well, it's he has such an interesting
1: arc. Usually
0: in a war movie, like, you follow the hero's journey, and, like, somebody moves up the ranks, and they do heroic actions, and they get promoted, and, you know, they save the day, or they die heroically. Klenzendorf is on the opposite trajectory. He, uh, he's been demoted because he lost his eye in an attack, and he gives, like, a sarcastic remark that it was a totally preventable enemy, like, assault, that he, apparently he was blamed for like not preparing for this attack. And so he winds up teaching camp with these young boys and then he gets demoted again because one of those boys grabs a grenade and practically blows himself up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and he just plays it so well, you know, and his sidekick, uh, dude from Game of Thrones. um, Hilarious. You know what I mean? Both their dynamics is so good. So, you know, you see him in a onesie in a swimming pool teaching nazi children or nazi children soldiers to not drown with their backpacks and gear on while he's carrying on a conversation and they're just splashing away in the water hilarious um his drawings that he shows jojo and what he wants his new nazi uniform to look at with the feather, the fez for more aerodynamics and you know the big gun it's, It plays very annoying music to, uh, it was so funny it was so stupid and funny but he played it off so well he really did um yeah and then, of course, his his turnaround was fantastic at the end. You know what I mean? Saving, you know, spoilers. Excuse me. Um, the what he did for JoJo at the end was well, not once wonderful. but twice. Like
0: he twice, yeah, yeah.
1: twice he showed twice. up in the nick of
0: time and played a major role in the hero's journey for JoJo. And just I love that character, Captain K. Stuck with me because it's just such an interesting, like um, I don't know what they call it when the arc goes down um but like a fall from grace and like he's always right there when jojo needs him and i just thought he was a phenomenal character in this film
3: i truly enjoyed him again sam rockwell but i just he was one of my favorite characters out of that whole film i mean he just came in at the right points and just tried to help jojo along and in a way that you didn't expect but he does help progress jojo along the path towards where he's makes a decision in the end to turn his back on nazis
0: and he's got a lot of nuance like he is fighting until the very end for the nazi army but like he shows like through his dialogues with jojo like you get the sense that he knows that this war is ending he sees the writing on the wall he knows where things are heading and he knows exactly where he's going to end up in all of it and like he's almost resigned to his fate and i think that's so interesting And even with knowing his destiny like he still the actions that he took along the way were just fascinating to me And like he showed that there were probably good people amongst the Nazi ranks. Like, we think about the fanaticism, and we think about the genocide, and we think about all the horrible people that so many people did. There were probably some good eggs in there, too. And, like, that, that's one of the things that made this such a thought-provoking film for me.
3: And, I, I mean, yeah, a Captain K, just the way he comes in and saves the day twice, you know, with getting the agreeing that the birthday was correct when she said it, when it was actually wrong, knowing that he just put his life on the line for this kid... I just would like to know what the relationship is between Rosie and him. Why, what, that's a little bit more depth I would have liked from the film was the relationship between those two characters.
0: We should note that this film was based on a book. There's, I would guess, there has to be more to that relationship in the book. Like, there has to be more history. You're right, because the way they interact and play off of each other, there has to be more there that we just don't know about.
1: I actually watched an interview with Taika Waititi yesterday, and he was given a book to go off of to make this movie, and he thought it was too dark, and so he actually didn't really go off of this book at all. It's interesting, because I heard that, too. Um, I could send you the link to the YouTube interview with Taika, but he he thought the, no, so he, he completely made this movie on his own yeah based just... loosely off of this book but yeah the, the, the book that he and i forgot to write it down for this and i apologize um yeah he he thought the book and his mother gave it to him and said you should do a movie on this and he's <laughs> like this whole thing is so depressing i can't do that before we get into our final thoughts and
0: takeaways on the transformi- transformative films billy i know you wanted to talk about Tycho waititi's portrayal of adolf hitler in jojo rabbit
1: Mhm mhm um in the same interview that I was just discussing he said and this is what I loved about what I love about him is he he wanted all the focus to go on to jojo um the character and he thought that bringing in like an a-lister celebrity to play hitler would take away from the narrative it would take away from his character cuz jojo is the protagonist and so he's so the and so the writers were like you do it and he's like what you know and so it it, that's when he was discussing beforehand that he he completely made this character unlikable and like this just idiot adolf hitler because he wanted him to be so bad and such an idiot and goofball and he wanted to treat him like fred from drop dead fred you know if you remember that movie, shout out. My wife will love this little reference because that's one of her favorite movies. Uh, he based it off of like Beetlejuice and Drop Dead Fred, like that buddy sidekick who's stupid but gets you into all sorts of trouble. So his, his, the way he does it is so great. And if you get a chance to, um, Watch some of the scenes between him and Jojo in the movie. Just YouTube a couple of them. When he's describing, when he goes off in the Hitler voice, you know, when he's giving speeches, when he's telling Jojo that he needs to get, he's like, no, you need to stop being brainwashed by that Jew. And you need to get back with mother Germ- or with Father Germany and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and you need to do this. And he's screaming at him controlling him basically and he goes yes mein Fuhrer." you know what i mean just like just subtle little things that they do in that just are just absolutely great so for what he did not wanting to originally play hitler great job taika great job
3: i agree and i think if anyone wants to just get a sample of it is just watch the opening of the film with um, him trying to rub up uh, jojo with hi hitler I think that's a great opening to the film. It's one of the best openings, and it's just if you just want a, just a taste of it, I think just watch the opening. Very okay. true. Overall
0: thoughts and takeaways from
3: these three films uh, that are
0: largely about the transformation of a young boy. We discussed Boy, Hunt for the Wilder People, and Jojo Rabbit. Billy, what sticks with you from these three films specifically?
1: I mean alive um seeing jojo rabbit already it was a wonderful second watch through because i could pay attention to a little bit more of the subtleties and some of the speeches and characters and that and whatnot and it was still absolutely enjoyable but it really like seeing his other two movies that i never had heard of before what a joy i mean he's 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 really really good at writing and directing movies and i i was just absolutely blown away because you see sometimes the older independent movies when directors and writers are on their way up and stuff, you know, or they're, they're starting in the beginning, excuse me, of their careers, you know, there's hits and misses and stuff like that. And, you know, we'll talk about it later. Eagle versus uh shark was a hit or miss for me. Um, so these other movies that we got to enjoy, what a, what a fantastic independent I can see why he won so many awards and stuff like independent film awards and critics choice awards and stuff like that really well, good I think
0: it's really interesting to compare him to a fellow New Zealander Peter Jackson because I think when we talked about Peter <laughs> Jackson there's such a progression of his films and like how things grew from uh what was the Michael J Fox one the frighteners to uh well, I was just of thinking
3: of his first ones like bad taste and the ones that we couldn't even watch um because it was hard to find them, but they were just way out their films, and then he did the Frighteners, which got him a little bit more into the uh, more international known. So,
0: yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Like his trajectory was very upward. I like I feel like Taika started on top of a cliff, and he's mostly like still up there. <laughs> like uh, we'll debate whether or not we love each and every one of his films or not, but like I think I think he's just a creative genius, an absolute genius as a writer as a director as an actor i think he must be considered as one of the most phenomenally talented people on the planet like he, and like this wasn't even what he set out to do in his career He was a painter for crying out loud and he just like oh well i trying to make a film and oh okay i guess i'm all right at this cool
3: well i just have to second what all you guys said so <laughs> i mean he's brilliant and i mean it's just it'll be fascinating to see what he brings forth um in the <clears> next few years as far as his creativity
1: uh, hey, guys. Um, so after bawling my eyes out watching these movies, I I had attempted to reach over and grab some Kleenex off of the table. Well, I wound up falling, twisted, in between the furniture, stuck between the coffee table and the couch. And, well, you know, as luck would have it, I'm in uh, a whole heck of a lot of a pain. Uh, so any suggestions, really, where I could get some help? Because I'm hurting right now.
0: Oh, Billy, we're so sorry to hear that. Check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, board game-related, and even gut-wrenching movie-related injuries and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN is in Minnesota.com. For our next segment, we're going to break down Taika's other non-Thor movies, starting with Eagle vs. Shark. Awesome name for a movie. This was his debut feature film released all the way back in 2007. It follows love-lorn Lily as she pursues, dates, and breaks up with uber-nerd Jared. The bulk of the film takes place in Jared's hometown while he prepares to confront the high school bully who he says ruined his life. It has a Metacritic rating of 55. It stars Lauren Taylor as Lily. She has 32 acting credits, including Hercules, Xena, and Bluey. Oh, Bluey. Bluey. She's uh, Mackenzie's Bluey. mom.
3: Oh, really? Yeah,
0: she has two episodes as Mackenzie's mom. Also starring Jermaine Clement, who is Jared. He has 69 acting credits, including Flight of the Concords and uh, What We Do in the Shadows. The next film we'll discuss in this section is... What We Do in the Shadows, released in 2014. It is a mockumentary that follows four vampires sharing a flat and trying to adjust to modern life leading up to a big undead masquerade. It has a Metacritic rating of 76. How do you think that's going to compare to Thor Love and Thunder? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. What We Do in the Shadows stars Jermaine Clement as Vladislav, Taika Waititi once again as Viago, Johnny Brew as Deacon, he has 35 acting credits. Bren Franchum as Peter, he has 38 acting credits. Corey gonzalez McCor as Nick, he has 22 acting credits. Stu Rutherford as Stu, he has three acting credits. So these are two wildly different films, a love story and a vampire mockumentary. Feeney, I'll start with you. Which one of these films were you more into?
3: Uh, Eagle vs. Shark. <laughs>
0: Why is it that Eagle versus Shark grabbed you? And like, is that because you hated uh, what we do in the shadows with a burning, fiery passion, or did you love Eagle versus Shark as much as you loved the masterpiece that is Clerks? <laughs>
3: well, Eagle versus Shark—if we didn't have to watch it, I would have turned it off a long time ago. But um, you know. I'm glad we stuck through it because it does become a gem towards the end of the film. But, you know, the character Jared, you really, really hate him. Well, I did. I really hated him. He was driving me crazy. I just, it's like, what was going to be the upside of this film? And it does surprise you in the end. It just really does. Uh, what we do in the shadows is just, you said it best. It felt like a long SNL skit. It just, it was an interesting machina, uh, Mockumentary. Mockumentary. Where, and it has its funny bits and it has some interesting parts and I can see the charm of it, but it just didn't hit me as funny as I think some people would think it's funny. So...
0: I know Billy didn't have a chance to watch what we do in the shadows, so we'll come back to Eagle versus Shark in just a minute. Let's talk about what we do in the shadows for just a little bit. Like we saw the preview for this, and we were very excited. I think yeah. this was like my most anticipated Taika Waititi film.
3: Yeah, we saved it for last. We um, saw the trailer, and it looked pretty funny. Um, it looked like it would be really, you know, I guess hilarious again, but.
0: And to be fair, it was funny. It like, was. We enjoyed it. A lot of the jokes landed for us. I thought the characters were interesting. I loved when a new guy gets bit and he becomes a vampire. And he's running around telling everyone yes. that he's a vampire <laughs> and like watching the fallout from all of that in yeah. the modern world. Like I thought that was really interesting. Uh, but I think uh, maybe to answer my own question, I think why this one fell short is so many of Taika Waititi's films have like gut wrenching moments and they have like real loss and they deal with real emotion and they couch it with a lot of funny and creative. Moments that don't make them feel overly heavy and depressing, but I think what we do in the shadows suffered from not having a serious bit to it.
3: Well, I think the thing is, it just shows that I, this, what we do in the shadows is not just him. It's a co-directed, co-written, um, production and, um, and I feel like it's more in tune with um, probably all the stand-up comedian uh, shows that he did in college, because I think it was the, called the Humor, humor Beast. Uh, they were a group of people that went around and did comedy shows. And the guy who played Jared, um, Jeremiah, I think is his name?
0: Jermaine Clement.
3: Jermaine was part of that group. So I think it's a nod to what they probably did in college with a lot of their comedic stuff and... I think it's more in tune with what um, Jermaine does with Flying of the Concords too, with his type of humor.
0: So you hated Jermaine Clement's character in Eagle vs. Shark. You (laughs) disliked the film that he co-directed with Taika Waititi, otherwise bring down who we think is a stellar writer and director. Uh, If the Earth was lava... And the only way to get like a solid bit for our family to keep like our house and like our car on was to watch Jermaine Clement 20 hours a day, every day for the rest of your life. Do you think you could do it,
3: honey? Uh, yes. I'll grin and bear it. <laughs> I mean, he's not that bad. I mean, if you're asking me about Wes Anderson, that would be a little harder for me. But, um, it's just, I, I thought the Royal Tenenbaums was a good film. I just could not, could not get through that film. Um, it's just, it's, it's good. I mean, I could see why it became a TV show. I can see why they're making a new film about the wolves, the werewolves and stuff. I can see the charm of it and I can see uh, why people like it and it's goofy and it's, you know, funny and it's just a interesting. If you want to film on in the background while you're maybe doing Legos or puzzles and having a drink, yeah that's a good movie to have in the background because you don't really have to pay attention to it too hard
0: yeah it it's funny what we do in the shadows is a funny vampire thing that exists yeah uh i think it pales in comparison to a lot of taiki white taika waititi's other works yes including eagle versus shark his debut film and thinking of this as like the first feature film that he did uh billy i love this film what stood out to you about eagle versus shark and where do you come in on it did you like it did you love it did you hate
1: it with the burning fiery passion uh i'm I'm solid in the middle and i'll explain why um i i thought this was the new zealand napoleon dynamite i got that that.
0: i got that a lot but napoleon dynamite focuses solely on napoleon napoleon is the main character in that and you see his arc and how he grows and in this film the napoleon character jermaine clement's jared he's really he's the antagonist in the film which is weird in a love story and he's one of the two like central characters uh so i like i I totally got the napoleon dynamite vibes and i i saw the similarities between that character and jared but i i in thinking about the relationships between those two films i just thought it was interesting that napoleon dynamite is more of a hero or a protagonist and uh jared is an antagonist sorry i completely derailed you to make my point
1: (laughs) no (laughs) that's completely fine and i agree with you um just the that type of humor doesn't hit me in all the right places and that's just my personal opinion Napoleon Dynamite was the same for me it was kind of a middle of the road movie and I watched it maybe twice and I'm like don't need to see it again because I I gave it another shot I always will (laughs) I thought it was a revelation and I love it it's in the middle of the road for me too (laughs) Boat you prepared. and a lot of other people, Tom. I, I've heard it from both sides, absolutely. They're, they're, they either hate it or love it, or in the middle, it's it's crazy.
0: And I think for me, it's because I didn't know anything going into it, and I was caught completely off guard. And I'm like, oh, this is really weird and funny.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so that's kind of how Eagle versus Shark hit me. It was that dopey kind of humor and not in a bad way dopey but you know that like um, self deprecating humor throughout the entire thing you know you feel uncomfortable watching what some of the characters are doing to themselves or saying or whatever you feel bad for Lily like three fourths of the movie you know what I mean and that was just tough to watch because she's a likable character and just wanted to be you know uh, in a relationship with Jared's character and so that was for me it was out of all of them that we've all watched, I put that at the bottom personally. Um, and again, not saying that it's a bad movie, uh, but yeah, just didn't hit for me like the other ones did.
0: It's going to be very fun when we go through and rank these films. Uh, Lily is a character that we all flagged as someone that stood out to us. For me, it was uh, her unflagging positive attitude and her loyalty and really what she, how she pursued the relationship at the end of the film that stood out for me. Phoenix, what was it about Lily that stood out to you, and what relationship really showed her personality for you?
3: Uh, it was her, uh, you know, Jared just broke up with her. She stuck at his house, and just her wanting to leave so bad, but she didn't know what to do with herself, and somehow she was able to connect with the family, and it was just, that was a saving grace of the film in ways for Me, was just watching her being able to connect with this family even though she still had to interact with Jared and his it 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 but it was um wonderful to see her progress with her thought process and try to become friends with this family and try to figure out who these people are and so she's just this charming lady that is just going through life and trying to figure it out herself and you know she's stuck with this family.
0: I thought it was interesting the family had a, a lot of baggage but like one thing that was weird to me in the film was why everyone externally hated Lily like she had a yeah. job and she got released from it and everyone was just like a total b to her there and it's like why throughout the course of the film you find out that she's just wonderful and charming and like just like the kind of person that you want to have in your life and so like why did everyone right. hate her why why did Lily rub people the wrong way in this story.
1: It never made sense to me either. I thought that was a part that could have been completely written out of this entire movie. I mean, up from getting fired to finding all of her, you know, all of the pieces of paper had her name in it. Yeah, that that just didn't do it for me. I don't know why they put that in there.
0: I guess maybe to show her growth, to see her overcoming, but I don't know. It feels very forced to, a very forced way to have her start at the bottom and follow the hero's journey. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Phoenix, there was a relationship that Lily had that you really enjoyed.
3: I did enjoy Lily and the brother together, just their little scenes together. They're just little games they had and their interactions. reactions. And I guess one scene that was funny or just caught me off guard is when Jared is explaining he has to go back to his hometown to beat the out of this old high school bully. And, language, honey. And, um, and he, she's like, well, my brother has a car well do you think he can use it and then they turn and look and the brother's been sitting there the whole time like uh sure (laughs) it's just like he just heard the whole story of jared wanting to go home to you know essentially sort of kill this person because he's a secret assassin and stuff but it's just it was just a great scene with the brother just sitting there so it kind of you can sort of see the creativity of taika um in his filming process and doing dialogue and juxtaposition in this film
0: and we'll go back to jared for a moment billy what was your favorite moment with jared i have a feeling i know what it's going to be but there's a very climactic scene where he confronts the uh confronts his childhood bully
1: yeah exactly and you and i can and we can all probably ping pong off of this one because it's it's it is it is a great scene where he confronts his bully for the first time and realizes you know he sees him for the first time in eight plus years or whatever it was and he's in a wheelchair and he's pissed off that he's in a wheelchair and then when it looks like they're going to shake hands after the apology from the bully he just starts beating the crap out of him with nunchucks and then still winds up getting his butt kicked it was just that scene was very funny
3: i guess it shows again um taika's ability to um catch you off guard, like with the shoes and and Jojo and the slap. It's just, even though this Mm -hmm. film doesn't have that big poignant, but him just starting to, you just don't expect it. And all of a sudden he's doing, it's like, did he really go there? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And then he loses the fight. It it was, it was pretty remarkable. Uh, One of my favorite moments from the film was uh, Lily just following Jared at the end. Like there's a revolution when Jared realizes that he's just, he's a, he's a loser. And like, he's trying to come with, come to terms with it and he's marching all over his hometown and revisiting all these sites and Lily just refuses to leave him alone she's just she's not really saying much she's just with him and she's just providing support and it's just like oh yeah we all need that sometime and it's really interesting to see
1: it portrayed this way in a film I liked how Lily was explaining that Jared is a special kid to her, his father I thought that scene was really poignant when he's mourning the other son's death and how wonderful he was and her just kind of explaining like, well, you know what? He's kind of wonderful in his own way. You know what I mean? He'll never be yours. You know, your firstborn or your favorite but you know he's he's pretty great too and gets him to come around you know what i mean even though it was to a fight that he lost he still came so it was nice to see that that was a really sweet moment there and that's lily's character is by far my favorite in that entire movie and i thought that was a really a really nice scene
3: I, i agree i mean it's just fun to watch her develop into a person of her own from the meek little mouse at the restaurant to this um person that is able to
0: drive change in this family. Yeah, yes. That uh-huh. is a good way to put it. Yeah. Eagle versus shark. It's very grating and abrasive and awkward through the first half. And it's like, this is going to be a rough ride, but it, it has a tremendous payoff at the end. So if you're at all interested in the film and if you turn it on, make sure you watch it to the end. Cause like it, I could have seen us giving up on this film if it weren't for this podcast any thoughts and takeaways on the two non-Thor movies that we're discussing, Eagle vs. Rabbit and What We Do in the Shadows?
3: Um, I don't think so. Big one. From I just Paul. wanted to
1: say that, uh, I apologize Tom, I just wanted to say that Michelle and I watched the very first episode of What We Do in the Shadows right before coming on to this podcast and I think we're going to be she was laughing and i was laughing so i think we're going to a of, we'll give it a good go how many episodes did you guys wind up going through well
3: actually there's the movie and then there's the tv show and so oh we... i thought
1: i didn't know there was a movie we've been yeah. watching the tv show
3: yeah we haven't watched the tv show yeah the tv show i think was the amc decided they wanted to do a tv show after the movie came out so yeah the movie is first and then yeah we haven't seen the tv show so i wonder if it's a little bit better than the movie was oh. So,
1: okay. Can I, can I at least suggest watching the first episode? Because Michelle and I were laughing out loud during that. And the TV show was really, it's in four C it's got four seasons. So yeah, no, it's it's well
3: received and they're going to, he's going to make a movie about the werewolves now. So it's just, so it'll be, I was, I was,
1: I was unaware it was a movie. Yep. I'm sorry. I thought we were referring to the TV show when you had it on the show notes. I didn't watch that either, but I thought we were talking about the TV show. So that's why I watched oh, the first episode God. coming here. So, <laughs> um, well, there we go. We've got some new show notes to put in there. So uh, TV show so far, so good. I am so glad you didn't watch all four seasons to prepare for this. <laughs> that, that would have been hard.
0: Uh, my thought from these two films and from the six films that we've discussed so far, the five films we've discussed so far is, Taika Waititi is a creative genius and like I said it on the last segment like his writing his directing his acting he's just he's a phenomenally talented person I really enjoyed going through these films before we get into the Thor movies we're gonna do Tom Awesome's top five it's time now for the final countdown
1: Tom Awesome's top five countdown
2: five four three
1: Two,
0: one. For our top five today, I'm going to rank my five favorite characters from Taika Waititi films. Like I, I debated whether I should just do Taika characters, or if uh, ultimately I didn't because, well, Feeny knows why. And let's get into our list. Number five: Ricky Baker from Hunt for the Wilder People. He is the main protagonist. I thought. Uh, Taika did a phenomenal job of subverting our expectations for this character. We talked about it in the first segment, and he was just really interesting, and I just loved the whole ride of the film. like From beginning to end, I thought Hunt for the Wilder People was just a delight. Number four, Alamine from Boy. It is a Taika Waititi character. This is the P.O.S. father that comes back into the picture and is manipulating his children to try to dig up his buried treasure and uh, serve his gang and just... Uh, it's not a character that you like, but it's a character that you can love to hate. He was just—he was—he was a bad dude.
3: And I just want to say, um, with all the characters that he plays in films, they're more of a comedic role. Um, in ways, I mean, Adolf Hitler—he kind of played him a certain way, but I think he masterfully played this character. I mean, you are conflicted about this character, and I think he did a beautiful job as an actor playing this role of this father
0: he was a charismatic villain he he was very easy to like he was quick with a joke he was good looking people wanted to be around him but at his core he was just a piece of crap and he was dragging down the lives of literally everyone around him and i thought he was just a fantastic person to love to hate number three lily from eagle vs shark i was so surprised by how much i liked this film and this character is the primary reason why she was just uh an uplifting protagonist uh beacon of positivity she supported the main character when he's at his lowest or the other main character when he's at his lowest uh to as a loyal companion she was basically samwise Gamgee of eagle versus shark <laughs> what
3: side note did you hear that they're gonna redo the films
0: yeah i did that's wild <laughs> i suppose there's a lot more money to be made out there so why not Uh, That is the L.O.T.R. films are being remade. Number two. My number two character from Taika Waititi films, and I have been bracing for days for the recoil from my wife on this, but my number two character from Taika Waititi films, the mighty Thor from Thor Love and Thunder.
3: There's nothing. What were you expecting?
0: Well, I told you that she was going to be my number one. You just rolled your eyes. (laughs) (laughs)
3: now after watching jojo i can understand why whoever is number one is number one
0: the mighty thor the mighty thor is one of my favorite comic book characters like i'm well documented for my love of spider-man from spider-man with the symbiote suit to venom like i love spider-man but mighty thor jane foster with the hammer is just right behind him it's a phenomenal line of comics and there's so much uh pain and sacrifice that goes along with jane foster being thor and i thought that Taika Waititi's portrayal and Natalie Portman playing the Mighty Thor just nailed it. Love the Mighty Thor. Uh, honorable mention, I'm going to go with Rhys Darby as both Psycho Sam and the lead werewolf dude from What We Do in the Shadows. I think I think he's just hilarious. We watched an interview that he did with Taika Waititi and he was a stand-up comic. They've done a bunch of stuff together. He was also in Flight of the Concords, which I haven't seen much of. Uh, but I thought Rhys Darby was just phenomenal in everything that I saw him in.
3: I agree.
1: You, yeah, if, if you haven't watched it already, and being the fact that you love Reese Darby so much, you should check out Our Flag Means Death. It's was... on HBO, and it is very funny. Okay, if yeah. If you like Reese Darby, it is so very well done. I think you guys would absolutely enjoy that show.
3: Yeah, I've seen pictures and stuff. I haven't watched a full trailer, but is I've that, been intrigued.
0: Is that the one where Taika is Blackbeard?
3: Yep.
1: Yes. And this is Rice is uh or Reese, excuse me, however you pronounce his name, um, he is a posh Englishman who decides he no longer wants to do that and be rich and do all this. He just wants to be a pirate, but he is still very a uh, flamboyant Englishman <laughs> trying to be this swashbuckling pirates and hires a crew, and the crew is absolutely hilarious, and then he meets Blackbeard, who is played by Tyka. It's not written by any of them. It's written and directed by other folk, but they have those characters in it that we all love from Tyka's movies and shows. Um, so I, I think you guys would get a kick out of it, for sure.
0: No, definitely. We, we definitely need to check that out. Uh, before I see my number one, was there anyone that you guys feel I missed for my list?
1: I like your list i don't know if i would put lily on there or not i might trade lily with uncle from wilder people
3: true yeah um i agree with your list i um it's a hard call i mean uncle's fast name but lily she saved the film for me so it's kind of up in the air for me it's, but so. Yeah, I, thought and we, I also
1: don't know. I don't know as much about the mighty Thor Jane Foster's character from the comic books as you do, so I would just take her out of the list just out of the lack of knowing. Not that she wasn't a great character, but I wouldn't put her in a top five. Yeah, she was masterful. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that's good because I don't know her background character at all, so I, I respect your decision. So, absolutely for number two, go rock and roll.
0: And my number one. Captain K from Jojo Rabbit. I did not expect this character to captivate my imagination the way that he did. Ultimately, he ends up doing some heroic acts in this film, and he is, like, the most unlikely of the heroic characters. Like, he is the seasoned Nazi warrior, and somehow he shows up just in the right moment to save Jojo, not once, but twice, and, like, in pretty major ways. Like, it's not hyperbole to say that he saved Jojo Jojo Rabbit's life twice in this film
3: no Mm -hmm. i agree i mean i i think it's a great choice as number one
0: and pair that with uh he's always drinking he's very funny he's got a very dry sarcastic sense of humor like he's still loyal to the cause that he set out for but he like he understands what's going on he understands where that train is heading so like i just i thought it was a phenomenally interesting character and extremely well executed by sam rockwell that is our top five list what do we miss tweet your thoughts at tom said oio on twitter for our third segment today we are going to come to the norse god in the room ytd directed two tentpole movies in the marvel cinematic universe thor ragnarok and thor love and thunder ragnarok released in 2017 ragnarok released that's a challenge Thor is stranded on Sakaar as he works to prevent Ragnarok, the destruction of Asgard. On the way, he finds the Hulk, meets a new lady friend, and battles his sister, Hela. It's got a Metacritic rating of 74. It stars Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, Kate Blanchett, Mark Ruffalo, and Tessa Thompson. Then Thor Love and Thunder released seven years later in 2014. Thor is lost, directionless. The children of Asgard are stolen. Someone is butchering the gods. Jane Foster is back, and she holds the hammer. No other gods are willing to act. This film, and this, this is when I finally realized that Metacritic is a uh, piece of crap tool for any uh, serious evaluation or conversation. This film has a Metacritic rating of 57, and like, I understand that I like Love and Thunder a lot more than a lot of people. I understand that, but I don't think even the haters would have rated it, like, far enough down to offset my high rating for it to drag it down to a 57 on a 100 scale. Like, that's a 5.7. That's, that is a failing grade for Thor Love and Thunder, a film that I enjoy quite a bit. Metacritic. Oops and I've I've said this on multiple platforms multiple shows but if you're going to review something if you're going to critique a piece of art whether it's a film a book a TV show a podcast whatever if you're gonna put an opinion out there put a score on it like you owe it to planet earth to like give it a legitimate rating like I I don't understand how many the Metacritic rating is based on critical reviews these are people that are accepted critics and like generally paid by some outlet whether it's a website or a magazine it just oh it drives metacritic drives me crazy thor love and thunder also stars chris hemsworth natalie portman batman and tessa thompson once again see what i did there for you honey
3: oh uh, yes I, I i did see yes thank yeah
0: you. the batman <laughs> uh so we'll break down the two thor movies in the segment starting with a softball question Billy, which Thor movie do you prefer?
1: <laughs> Man alive. I just watched uh, Michelle and I just watched love and thunder again, just to get a fresh set of eyes on it. Cause we had only seen it the one time and it released on Disney plus, and we just watched it before the podcast here. And I grew to kind of love it a lot more than I did the first time around. So I'm really happy that I did that. I, uh, I will get into the reasons why in a little bit here, but if I have to choose between the two, man alive i mean really in ragnarok is is pre infinity war and endgame so this is really when you start to see thor really start to believe that he is truly unworthy so the character arc for him in these movies in this in ragnarok alone was just like powerful you know what i mean his father dies all he's got left of his his brother And now he's got this sister who's wanting to take over his lands and stuff like that. So, I mean, the way that it sets everything up for Infinity War and Endgame, I'm going to go with Ragnarok as my choice. But now watching Love and Thunder again, like, I really dug it. I just thought it was just a fun movie and uh, it was really great seeing, like, him rise up again and feeling good about himself and then putting back down in his place and then rising back up and trying to do this, but losing again. I mean, they are, they are really, really doing Thor's character justice in like the, picking yourself back up and put, you know, even though you just keep getting knocked down kind of a thing, man. Like I'm, I'm so torn with Thor. It's crazy. I love it. I love what they have done with his character because the first two movies were for me, snooze fests, so, a very long winded answer to tell you. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know which one's my favorite. It used to be Ragnarok. But now, watching this th- Love and Thunder again, I can totally see why you think this is your favorite. Absolutely. Well, I've been leading a long
0: time to deliver this joke right now. I'm just going to take out my earplugs. Uh, this would be a different joke if our children weren't sleeping directly above me. I'm going to lean back from the microphone. Love and Thunder! Phoenix said, don't wake the children.
3: (laughs) Please, don't wake the children.
1: (laughs) Don't wake the children. God, don't wake the children. Somebody please think of the children. (laughs) Phoenix, where do you check in?
3: Oh, I mean, I did not like Ragnarok the first time I watched it. Watching it the second time, I did enjoy it a lot more. Um, Watching Love and Thunder, I truly enjoyed it in the theater. And it was good watching it a second time. I can have, you know... I really enjoyed what Thor was like in Ragnarok. Um.
0: Well, if I can put words in your mouth here, we both watched Ragnarok and we thought it was like a three. We watched Love and Thunder in the theater and we thought it was like a nine. And I think it's fair to say that for both of us, after re-watching these films to prepare for the show, they both came closer together. Yeah. Like for me, Love and Thunder still clearly on top. Uh, but <clears throat> Ragnarok, I originally thought it was one of the worst films in the MCU.
3: Well, it's just it was hard for me because to me, it's just like I thought, well, OK, we just we need a Hulk movie, but let's throw him in with Thor. So let's make it a Hulk movie with Thor. And and I missed having more of a story in Ragnarok because to me, I love Kate Blanchett and I love her entrance and I love what her character could have been if they could have done more of a story arc through the movie of learning more about her and just why she was such a bad and everything i just missed a lot of her character in the film and that's why i had a hard time with it the first time but i guess i prefer the thor and ragnarok this battle um driven wants to save his people type where he's so lost in love and thunder but it comes together in the end with love and thunder so yeah it's just they're kind of neck and neck for me you know
0: Billy, I'll turn back to you. Phoenix and I are often very similar in our views on movies, and we both tend to be very, we don't intend to be contrarian, but we seem to run counter to pop culture a lot of the time. Uh, why do you mm-hmm. think that people glommed onto Ragnarok so much? And why do you think made it such a successful film as the third
1: installment of Thor films? I mean, to put it easily in just my own opinion, uh, it's the first two movies bombed for me, for me. And I've heard it from everybody else too who's watched when when Ragnarok came out, it was a breath of fresh air finally for Thor. I think he kind of, like, they finally gave him his, his own, and not this just, like, brooding statue in the background that's just there to kick ass and save the day, say a couple of quips here and there about how mighty he is or whatever. Yeah, I they really gave him his own, you know what I mean? And the comedic value that they added to, you know, Chris Hemsworth does a fantastic job at it. He's good at comedy. Um, so... Uh, I think Ragnarok was a breath of fresh air because we all really wanted to like Thor but we just really didn't like the first two movies and I think it's been a long time since I've
0: watched the first two movies like I remember them as being forgettable like I don't remember really anything about them than like the big destroyer monster that Thor fights in the first one and that Jane Foster was in the first one
3: yeah I mean I can barely remember them I don't they never grabbed me as such as the other films but I remember watching the first Avengers movie and it's like, okay, Thor is a great supporting character. You know, Joss Whedon used him and Hulk as more of a supporting cast. And it's like, that's what Thor is. He's not a major motion picture character.
0: Well, it's interesting because it's fair to say that I have a gigantic man crush on Chris Hemsworth. I I love him. Like, I think he's a phenomenal actor. Who doesn't? And it's interesting. One of the things that Taika said in one of the interviews that we watched is that he felt like Hemsworth was underutilized in those first fil- films. So I think in Ragnarok, uh, in that very opening scene when he's with the big uh, fiery dragon that triggers Ragnarok, uh, not dragon, Demon. giant, fire giant,
3: giant, yep. yeah,
0: that dude, um, and like it's a very funny, jokey scene. And like, I don't know, one of the reasons that Ragnarok rubbed me the wrong way initially is I thought it tried to imitate. Guardians of the Galaxy too much which was such a quirky weird film watching it apart from the MCU and seeing it as its own and not like building up to uh Endgame like it was really interesting just watching it as its own thing and reevaluating it I still much prefer Love and Thunder but like I don't know good film
3: and I agree with Billy's point that I think people fell in love with Ragnarok because again the first films weren't that great and It's just everyone, I don't think, realized how much Chris Hemsworth can deliver comedy so well and so masterfully. He can make it seem so natural. And so, yeah, that opening scene, it's just, it's like, this guy, he can be funny.
0: Yeah, and I, like, having rewatched this and now having watched all of Taika Waititi's feature films and, like, seeing the creative genius that he is, like, I would give nearly anything to have him do
3: a Spider-Man movie.
0: Give him Miles.
3: What about Venom?
0: Oh, oh honey. That would be interesting. But then it'd be really silly to offset the darkness, and maybe that tone would rub me wrong. I don't know. I'm still going to say Spider-Man. Give him him Tom Holland. It'll be fine. Who's my (sighs) Spider-Man? What are the standout moments from Thor, Ragnarok, and Thor Love and Thunder? Billy, we'll start with you again.
1: Standouts? Oh, man, alive. I'm going to go probably... Like I was kind of uh, I was saying earlier, like in Ragnarok, I, 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 like the final blow of when Hela crushes Mjolnir in her hands, you can just see the loss. Finally, has just really hit him, you know, like, oh, my God, I'm not worthy. All this stuff keep happening. What a pivotal turn in that entire thing. Nobody was expecting that just boom, just busted in her hand. And, you know everything is lost to thor at this point you know what i mean so for for ragnarok for me that was a huge huge turning point point. and again just to just to reiterate how the story was so well done and how you feel so bad for thor because he does just keep losing everything and just feels like he's not worthy but he still just doesn't want to give up you know so that was stand out for me in ragnarok for sure so Mjolnir gets crushed. It is a big, powerful moment in
0: Ragnarok and a defining moment for Thor. Then it's back in Love and Thunder, and uh, Mjolnir becomes a punchline. It becomes a recurring joke with Thor, and the relationship between them kind of parodies Thor's relationship with Jane. Did you enjoy the repeated callbacks to Mjolnir, or did those jokes rub you the wrong way?
1: No, they were cute. They were fun. It didn't bother me. It didn't take away from the movie, which is you know what you're always afraid of with quirky corny humor like that like uh, you're, you're kind of pulling back from it but you know if they would have done it more than the two three times they probably would have it would have fizzled out and like been okay all right we get it we get it you know what i mean but they did it only a couple of times and so it still was funny both you know and so i i i thought it was well done in love and thunder any
0: thoughts on it feeney
3: Oh, I thought, you know, he did have a lot of those jokes where, I mean, he hit that fine line where he did it just enough, but he didn't overdo a lot of those kind of joke things, you know? And I know sometimes people had a hard time with the screaming goats, but he didn't quite overdo it like some people can do. So, I mean, I agree. He just did it just enough to make it poignant and
0: I had the opportunity to talk with my best friend in the world, Brian Shea from Game Informer magazine, about this, and like the humor in Love and Thunder really irritated him and just rubbed him the wrong way. I'm like, oh, I thought it was really funny. I'm I'm with you guys on all of really? those points. Interesting, Feeny, One of the moments that I think stood out to you was Thor getting his lightning. Can you tell us why that moment was impactful for
3: you? Well, it's just uh, it was impactful, but mostly just the way it was filmed and the special effects, and just how he did the scene, it was very cool. (laughs) I have to say cool. It's just like him on the balcony with hell. And she, you know, it's like, what do you got? And, all of a sudden, he just has all this lightning, and he destroys the balcony. But just the when the song comes on, and he just comes down, and just and I love how they use the lightning in Endgame too with him when he shows up with Stormbreaker, and he's just like, "Give me Thanos," and he just takes off and destroys everything, and everyone's like, "Oh wow, <laughs> I guess let's go find uh, Thanos now." But it, he's just it. I thought he was became such a cool character, you know through this film and he becomes this huge bad and i just i enjoyed seeing that coming from thor just becoming this huge bad with lightning and being so strong and so it's just it was very cool scene very well filmed and the special effects are great yeah, the
0: special effects were great. It's not something we've mentioned with any of Taika Waititi's other films because none of the effects really stand out. Like his characters, his writing, his directing are all really good. This is the first time
1: he had a chance to wow with special effects. I like what you said about the lightning thing because it also is it's it's a it's a good it's a nice bonding moment that he has with his father when he's like it was never about the hammer, Thor. You know what I mean? Like cuz he was so busted up about the fact that he lost Mjolnir and he's like Are you the god of of thunder, not the god of hammers? (laughs) Yeah, that was a
0: good line. That was a very good line. One of the things that stands out to me, and one of the reasons that I love Love and Thunder so much, is the relationship between Jane and Thor. They broke up, and when they are back around each other, it is awkward. It is very awkward, and I think that rubbed people the wrong way because, like, Thor is the hero. He's the protagonist. He's supposed to like know all the lines and like work things out. But I thought it was very real like just how busted up he was and how like awkward they were together and how every interaction was just so strained on each side i really loved that aspect of love and thunder
1: i agree it was F, you know because he goes from like he'll go cocky and then he'll go just just like you know can't spit the words out because he's just you know he's seen jane in this new light and what she's becoming like you know I think because uh, uh, why can't I think of the the rock dude's name? Help me out here, guys. Borg, Borg. He's like, oh, you know how it's like the weird dynamic, of how like your ex girlfriend here is with your ex hammer and blah 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 blah. You know what I mean? So yeah, I agree. They totally did the uh, the the Jane and Thor thing really well because it's the Thor and Mjolnir thing at the same time, and then obviously with Stormbreaker in the background being jealous was just funny. So yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, I love this st- Chelsea of Stormbreaker, especially when he's trying to call <laughs> Milner over in the town hall, and Stormbreaker just shows up. It's just like
0: edges mm-hmm. mm-hmm. in on the shot.
3: But no, it just it brings it back to reality about you know these superheroes are these gods, and you know they deal with hardship, relationship, love, and everything. And you know it's just it was nice to see more of the awkwardness versus the. Fall over heels, fall in love type story that you get where it's like, are they, aren't they, you know, from the beginning, where it's like they've already been together. Now you're seeing them trying to figure out life after being together and breaking up and trying to maybe possibly. Get back together.
0: Like life is messy. Like thinking about just our relationship, Phoenix, like um it took us years to get together because you were just very shy and I thought that you were intimidating, and so like it set us back literally years. We could have had this podcast like a decade earlier. We could have <laughs> been on episode 120 right now, honey. <laughs> Darn it. Darn it indeed. Billy, you thought that Gore was an excellent antagonist. What stood out to you about Christian Bale's portrayal of Gore in Thor Love and Thunder?
1: Yeah. And um, I I tend to bring this up a lot in the podcast that I get to join you guys in about like ideas I have for other podcast episodes with you. And I think this would be a really fun one. And so I'm going to do it again, Tom Phoenix. I'm going to do it again. I think it would be a great idea to have an episode where we discuss antagonists and what they're all striving for. Is it actually for good? I say that because I enjoyed this this antagonist because he was forsaken by his gods his god did not save him and his daughter you know in time of need all of your people my god are they're all dead your lands are all done and the god just basically spits on him you know I won't go into full detail about that but he he was forsaken this this life he was dedicated to didn't turn out to be. And so he's like, no one is ever going to be here for you with these gods that you look up to. So I'm just going to kill them all. So I thought, what a, what a cool character. What a, what a story to have. What a passion to have that he had revenge. Yes. But for the reason he did, it was really, really well done, you know, like, and so I I thought that would be kind of a cool episode idea. I was like, I could totally talk about this (laughs) (laughs) in a full episode about like, bad guys who are doing it for the right reason. And do you kind of agree with that reason, you know? And so, yeah, I kind of agreed with this reason. You know what I mean? I have my own thoughts when it comes to religion as a whole, and I won't get into that. Um, but I I, I I, truly enjoyed this antagonist, and I thought Christian Bale did a very good job. At, excuse me, Batman did a very good job <laughs> at this. Um, so, yeah, what a cool cool bad guy he was for his own right reasons you know I agree um, I don't I don't understand why anyone would
0: not like gore as an antagonist like it's very relatable at the beginning like watching his loss and his suffering and like his interaction with the god like I you know blind obsession is something that we could dive into and not something that I (laughs) am a big supporter of but like I get where he's coming from like it's a very empathetic uh opening to his journey.
3: I agree. I mean, that's why I think Love and Thunder is a little bit higher for me uh, than Ragnarok because of the storyline. You have this antagonist. You have this beautiful story. You watch him lose his daughter and then him talking to his god and then all of a sudden it's just like... And, you know, the only reason... the gut reaction for him to kill the god in the first place was a self-defense reason you know he was about to die so and then all of a sudden it becomes this
0: it's something that any of us would have done in that moment it's like if we're ever Uh face to face with death and a tool appears in our hand that would stave off death like i believe that every person that has ever existed would use that tool
3: yes and then all of a sudden it becomes this journey of him to just you know kill these gods because are they all like Zeus, you know, you know, Russell Crowe and Zeus and all these gods. And, you know, so it, I think it's a beautifully, masterfully done written story. And I think it was well done by Christian Bale, who is always really good in what he does. Um, and I agree. I think it's just well done altogether.
0: Well, it's interesting. You have Gore on the one side. He's cursed. Uh, on the other side, you have Jane Foster, the mighty Thor. She has cancer. She's dying. True. And like they're both... Like, the end of the line is in sight for both of them, and it's interesting that you have them both driving to this point with Thor kind of in the middle.
3: That's very true, yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I never thought about that.
0: Uh, At the end of Thor Love and Thunder in the climactic scene, Phoenix, one of the things that I think stood out with you is Thor's choice at the end of the film. You want to explain what happened and why it resonated with you?
3: Uh, So they reached the point, and I can't remember what it's called, but you can make this wish, and it can make anything happen, and everyone... Eternity eternity and everyone is assuming that gore is going to just wish all the gods dead and you know and the mighty thor is talking to him and trying to get gore to choose love and you know and the whole scene it's like in the end when gore spoiler brings his daughter back you know Thor could have just rejected her. He could have walked away from her, left her on her own. He could have chosen a different path. He decided to listen to Mighty Thor, Jane, and also, you know, realizing that this individual is an innocent individual. And so anyone else, like Zeus, if he was in that place, I think he would have turned and walked away from the girl. You know, it just shows how... Different, and that's what um Teresa's character says he's different when they are in that in uh, Gore's house. you know she says Thor is different from all the other gods, and you know at the end of the movie, he shows it. he is different from them,
0: yeah, it's a great point, and it's very powerful. I love that scene, and like there's a slight exchange between Gore and Thor, and Thor acknowledges that Gore won, so he's going out on his own terms, he's choosing how he's spending. The last moments of his life and like how he allocates that time is really interesting.
3: It is, yeah.
0: For me, the heart of Love and Thunder is Jane's sacrifice. Jane in picking up Mjolnir and becoming Thor, like it takes a tremendous toll on her. She she has cancer when she um, picks up the hammer, and it essentially keeps her from getting better. It kind of blocks any efforts to heal her. So uh, the point is that like wielding the hammer is killing Jane. If she continues to do it, she will die. And Thor learns this, and they have a confrontation just before Thor goes off for the final confrontation. And Jane wants to be with them. She wants to fight in that final confrontation with them. And Thor's like, no, you have to stay here. You have to live. You have to live so that we have more time. And Jane's like, well, what's the point of more time of this? Like, lying in a hospital room. Like, what? what's the point of more of this existence when I could be Thor one more time? It's. I thought that was very interesting very thought-provoking and like when jane shows up and like you know she's gonna die because she has the hammer again it's like oh that is a very uh self-sacrificing position that she was in she she did what she felt was right and she's gonna pay a tremendous cost for it like it's it's hard to do the right thing when you know the cost
3: yes it can be
1: is uh does that mean that jane is in valhalla yeah, she shows
0: up in Valhalla at the end, doesn't she? does she?
3: It's the very last scene. You have to go all the way to the end of the credits, so she does. Okay, show so up. there's a
1: second end credit scene. Yep. I forgot about that. I, I forgot to watch rewatch that again. I couldn't remember if it was just the Russell Crowe part and Hercules, and so there's another ending. Yeah, you got to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's the very, very. End. Sorry, I forgot that point. Yeah. Um, uh, Tom, I wanted to ask you since you know the comics better than I do, who does the little girl wind up being? Is she a canon character? Uh, Not from what I've read so far. I haven't finished the entire run of The Mighty Thor. Okay, all right. I was just curious. If anybody else knows, I'd love to hear about it because I I want to see what the dynamic happens between those two or just her in general because she's got the powers of a god. So I'm curious to see what happens.
3: Yeah, no, it's just... And I love how they ended the movie with him trying to make pancakes and, you know, just the whole (laughs) dynamic between those two, you know. And again, her, his ability to show her love because she has some respect and love for him, you know, so he's able to garnish a well-rounded person so far, you know, in this girl because, you know, her father died and left her alone with this person that she has no idea who he is. So.
0: Thor Love and Thunder is very jokey, but it is at times also awkward and at times also like very heartfelt and like, impactful and meaningful and that that's why i love this film so much like it it elicits real emotions from me in a way that most mcu films do not billy your thoughts on taiki's job and taking a massive property as part of the mcu this massive conglomeration of things did he do a good job would you be interested in seeing taika do more like big budget big time projects like this
1: i i could i uh, for me The last two movies, Love and Thunder and Ragnarok, goes to show he can hop in a big Hollywood movie and he can do it just fine. He won't ruin what has already been established for a decade in the MCU, but he makes it his own at the same time. So he doesn't take anything away from the characters that we've all loved in the past 10 to 12 years. And he can just do it just fine. So I'm very happy that he's been added to that list of directors in the MCU.
0: Taika Waititi is awesome. I have just a couple follow-up questions now that we've discussed his seven feature films. I wanted to ask you both what makes a Taika Waititi film. What do you think are the aspects that Taika Waititi brings to a project that makes it his own? Feeny, I'll start with you.
3: Um, he, his storytelling, the way he was able to write these masterful stories, and you know sort of coming of age stories in ways, even in Love and Thunder, you kind of have this sort of progression of coming of age in ways and Thor in a sense. Um, and just dealing with trying to sort of the hero's journey, I guess I should say, but also I guess that's mostly what I can say. I mean, just, I know you have one point that I would agree too, but, um, just his ability to just write a story and just bringing it to the screen in a masterful way
1: he uh absolutely he is uh he is one who can create a character that you love or he can create a character that you love to hate as tom said about uh his portrayal as the father and boy um he he can really tug at the heartstrings and then make you belly laugh at the same time i mean he's very good on either end of the story when it comes to like a tragedy or a comedy. You know what I mean? Like you could put his face on both of those theater masks. He's really good at doing it. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, yeah. He's, he's just fantastic. So I was, I was really, truly happy watching those movies last night that I had never heard of. So um, yeah, keep bringing on Taika Waititi for sure. I agree with the points that both of you made and I'll add that he has some absolutely masterful shots
0: that, There's one in Hunt for the Wilder People that uh, stands out to me. It is a panning shot that spans a long way from left to right, and you see characters popping in and out and weaving in and out. He does something similar in Jojo Rabbit where it's like Mm -hmm. a panning shot, and you see different characters moving in and out, and it's very uh, natural, the actions that they're taking, and it looks seamless, and it's just, uh, I don't know if he hires a cinematographer or if he is just this brilliant Beautiful mind of a director and like visionary. I don't know what it is, but I think he does every aspect of the filmmaking prospect exceptionally well. And uh, I wanted to make a point. I wanted to compare Taika Waititi to Quentin Tarantino for a second. Billy, you were on the Tarantino show with me, and Feeney, you watched all of the movies with me for that show. Uh, Lots of people love Tarantino. He's not my favorite director. The film that I liked arguably most was Jackie Brown, which is an adaptation of a book. I think that. Taiki Waititi does a masterful job of telling a story, whereas uh, a director like Quentin Tarantino does a lot of good things, but I don't think he tells a complete narrative as well. He has a tendency to go really off the rails at the end, and maybe that's a part of the Tarantino style. But I really like uh, Taika Waititi's ability to tell a complete story from beginning to end and kind of close all the loops. I don't think he's necessarily Guy Ritchie with all the disparate threads coming together, uh, but I think from beginning to end, you generally get a great package from Taiki Waititi.
1: I mean, I think you can just, you don't, you know, it's all those, all the directors that you and I have done, the three of us that have done on past episodes, they're so eccentric in their own ways. It's really tough to like, but I would absolutely agree with you and putting them in that barrel of that. We've put out these directors, Quentin Tarantino, Gary, Ritchie, Peter Jackson's a little bit on the higher end scale, but like kind of where he came from to what he does comparatively and everything. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. I, I'm, I'm so stoked to see what he continues to do with movies. You know what I mean? Like, and Michelle agrees with you one hundred percent. The cinematography for with Taika Waititi, beautiful. Chef's kiss. Agreed.
0: And then pivoting, where does he rank amongst the directors we've discussed? Billy, you've done every movie show with me, so we'll start with you here. Like at the top of your head, if you would rate Tarantino, Jackson, Guy Ritchie, and um. Taika Waititi how would you rank those four?
1: Oh good lord. <laughs> <laughs> That's really tough. I'm gonna go Peter Jackson as number one. I'm gonna go Tarantino, Waititi Richie. Ooh, um Richie Tititi, um
3: mm, so
0: Peter Jackson and Quentin Tarantino are the other two.
3: Peter Jackson and Tarantino.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm right with you. Well, I, Taika might be number 1 for me. Like Taika Waititi and Guy Ritchie are like neck and neck for me. Like I, I, Guy Ritchie has a bigger catalog and he's done different styles of things. It was interesting how they fit into like the crime bucket or the other IP bucket and they all seem to have such a high level of quality. So, I'll go Taika Waititi number 1 just a hair above Guy Ritchie and then Peter Jackson and then Tarantino for me. Last thing I wanted wow. to do before we rank these films is talk about Taika Waititi's acting. Phoenix, we'll start with you on this one. What do you think of Taika Waititi's need to appear in every one of his films? Is it an aspect that you enjoy? Is it irksome to see him pop up? Is it like, where's Waldo? Like Where do you come in on uh, his acting prowess?
3: (laughs) Um, I truly enjoy it because he's been able to uh, show his ability to act, like I was talking about with the movie The Boy, The Father. I just was completely shocked by his ability to play this character and he did it so masterfully and you know in some of those gut-wrenching scenes where he's so upset and he's punching the wall I mean he does everything he can do the comedic stuff but he can also do the serious stuff and you know I would love to see more of his stuff where he's just the actor not the director to just see what he's like so it'd be fun to check out Blackbeard. You know, and when he does small roles, I mean, he does those very well, too. I mean, the priest and the hunt for the wilder people was pretty funny. And um, it's just I think it's good. It's fun to see more coming out. And it kind of just remembers reminds me of Mel Brooks. But in ways I have enjoyed him more than Mel Brooks appearing in his films. But it's just it's fun. Yeah,
1: he's he's a good actor. It would be, I, I think his serious role in boy shows that he could be, if he was given a bigger role as, you know, as a starring actor, um, it would, I would love to see how he does in a serious role. You know, he's good at comedy, so we, we don't have to discuss that because he's just funny. You know what I mean? He plays the characters really well, but his character as the father and boy, I'd, I would love to see him in that type of role in a bigger movie centralized around himself because he does do a good job at not taking away from, like I had said before, the main characters in the movie when he does pop in, you know what I mean? He doesn't make it. He, I think he purposely does that in his movies. He doesn't make it about, Hey, it's Taiko Watiti. You know what I mean? You're still paying attention to what's going on in the movie and not just like hyper focusing on him just because he's the name, you know?
3: Very true. Um, I agree, so yeah. yeah,
1: I, I, i like it i like it when he pops up i like him as all of his characters i, I yeah I, I i'd say a thumbs up on his acting yeah pretty
0: good i mean i love him as an actor i think more taika waititi on screen is always a good thing like i loved him in free guy i thought he was the highlight of that film uh, i love him in all of his own films i think it what an amazing thing that he's able to do all of these things so well just phenomenal mm-hmm. talent
3: i think it's so funny um he won a grammy and he was asked about that and it was funny he's like well i think it's hilarious i won a grammy i just put a playlist together <laughs> <It's
0: just> like... <laughs> yeah he won a grammy for the soundtrack for
1: jojo, jojo rabbit. rabbit yeah oh nice yeah i didn't and, know that
3: that's cool and he said it's just i just i did a playlist of music i love and i got a grammy for it that's That's all I can say. He
0: he tends to be at least in the interviews that we saw. He's very self-deprecating. So like he downplays his acting chops. He's like, yeah, I've never prepared for anything. I just do me, and people seem to love it. And like I think he doesn't. He downplays it a lot. He's a phenomenally talented person. True. Absolutely. We're gonna close our show by ranking the feature films of Taiki Waititi, Uh, running through them quickly in order of Metacritic score from lowest to highest. Eagle vs. Shark was a 55. Next up, according to Metacritic, the next worst Taiko Waititi film, Thor, Love and Thunder. F*** you, Metacritic. I will gladly edit that one out. Next up was <laughs> Jojo Rabbit at 58, followed by Boy at 70, Thor Ragnarok at 74, What We Do in the Shadows at 76, and Hunt for the Wilderpeople at 81. Uh, while we start to get into this, Feeny, can you grab another pen out of that thing for me? Because I'm going to need to write these down as we... all right so the way that we like to do our rankings we like to start at the bottom and work our way up so first we need to come to a consensus on the worst taika waititi film billy
1: evil versus shark
0: Feeny.
3: i was gonna say what we do in the shadows
0: (laughs) yeah uh it's gotta be what we do in the shadows feeney and i are both there and billy you didn't have a chance to watch it for this so sorry we're gonna gang up on
1: you here you you can yep you can take that one i'm fine with that
0: so what we do in the shadows, the worst Taika Waititi film. Next up for me, uh, this is where I had Eagle versus Shark. Billy, I presume you'd still advocate for it here.
3: I agree. I would put Eagles versus Shark as next.
0: And this is where I think the discussion is going to start to get interesting. Next up for me is Thor Ragnarok, which I know people love that film, but for whatever reason, for me, even i like this film a lot more now and i don't think it's a bad film but i liked all of his other f- films quite a bit more so i've got ragnarok next as his third worst film
3: uh that's for me too um i agree with you i'll be- because of all his other films i enjoy ragnarok it's just it's not up there with the other films that we've discussed so ragnarok is next for me
0: and billy what do you have there and why should we choose that film over
1: ragnarok yeah, so I I apologize. I I might be off a little bit just because of what we do uh, basing it off of the TV show. I put it as number 4. So I have Eagle versus Shark, What We Do in the Shadows, so 5 4. So I'm just making sure we're on the same uh same spot here. So um
0: Well, there were yeah, seven my-
1: seven films total, Billy. So we had yep. What We Do in the Shadows at number 7, Eagle
0: versus Shark at 6. So this would be number 5. Yes. Okay, gotcha.
1: Number five. I'm gonna go then with uh, Ragnarok. Yep, I'm gonna go with you guys on that one.
0: All right. Well, this has been uh, just a <laughs> knockdown, <laughs> dragout brawl of a discussion.
1: I, 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 sometimes it doesn't need to be a knockout. I agree with you on that, especially after watching all the other movies and then rewatching Love and Thunder. Yeah, my top five or my tops have, have slightly changed. Absolutely, you know, in the last couple of days. So. We might be on the same page with this one, guys. Well, number four, I have a feeling this is where things are going to start to
0: differ. This is where I have Boy. Billy, what would you rank as the next worst Taika Waititi film? Mm. Just above Ragnarok, the things that we still have left are Boy, Jojo Rabbit, Love and Thunder, and Hunt for the Wilder People, which is definitely not the order that I had them rank the rest of the way.
1: And Hunt. Yeah. While Billy's
0: pondering that, Feeney, what did you have next All right. on your list?
3: Uh, Love and Thunder.
0: Ooh. Ooh. Mm. That's going to be hard. I mean, for me, Boy is largely just a taste preference. Like, I think it's a masterful film. Uh, for me, I'm kind of ranking them in the order that I'd want to rewatch them, or the priority for rewatching them. I think it's a masterpiece and a great film, so I could be convinced to go higher on it. Uh, but for me, this is just where I had it slotted in.
3: Yeah, to me, uh, Boy is my favorite out of all of them, and it's just I'm just gonna rank it, you know, pretty high. I I think it just the storytelling. I guess because it tastes to some of the films I grew up with and you know, some of those old time radio stories. It's just, it just something that just resonated with me. And I really enjoyed his storytelling with this film. So, uh, love and thunder. I enjoyed it, but it's just not up there with the last three films. So
0: it's interesting to me that you have love and thunder below Jojo rabbit. I'm, I'm very surprised.
3: No, I true. Jojo rabbit is a great film. And le- what, we've talked about is just a piece of nazi germany and everything and has a way to tell the story of this kid and everything it just it ranks higher than love and thunder for me
1: so. well boy love and thunder or billy what would be your choice here i'm gonna to have to agree with you tom i'm gonna to go with boy on this it was a great movie but i don't think i'd watch it again
2: mm-hmm.
1: interesting um well i mean
0: we have you two on one do you have any other Compelling arguments you want to make, my uh, it's love? It's
3: going to be hard for me to, I don't know. <laughs> um, no, it just, it just reminds me so much of, you know, plays like Arthur Miller and just, you know, James Dean films and things. So, and but, I think
0: it's masterful. Like, I don't mean this as a discredit to the movie at all. It's I just, guess for, for me. It not, no. Oh.
3: I guess for me, I'm not thinking as rewatching. I guess I'm thinking of it more as far as what did he put the most into a film? As far as his writing, his directing, and you know, the and his acting, acting everything. To me, boy is that film, and so it's not about rewatchability. It's more what for his creative genius, what was the best? And
0: well, if I come up on boy. That sounded weird. If I am willing to compromise on boy here, and if you're willing to compromise on love and thunder, is there any (laughs) other middle ground for something that we could slide into this number four spot instead? Because my number one is absolutely not going
3: here. (laughs) No, we can put boy there if you guys want to put boy there.
0: All right. We're all agreed. Boy at number four. Recapping our list so far, ranking the Taika Waititi films from worst to best. At number seven, we have What We Do in the Shadows. Number six, we have Eagle vs. Shark. Number five, we have Thor Ragnarok. Number four, we have Boy. Number three, Billy, what would you suggest as the third
1: best film by Taika Waititi? Unforwilder people. This was a really big toss-up between my number three and number two, but I'm going to go with my gut i put number three is Hunt for Wilderpeople. I believe you're wrong, and I think it should be Jojo Rabbit.
0: Feeny?
3: Love and Thunder.
0: <laughs> yeah. Stand up. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, part of my love for Love and Thunder is just blind adoration for the Mighty Thor. So I'm willing to come down on Love and Thunder and put it here if Billy's willing to move Wilder People at least one more
1: spot up the list. So we want to put Love and Thunder at... At number
0: three? three, which would leave Jojo Rabbit and Hunt for the Wilder People as one and
1: two to be debated. All right. I think that's fair. I'll move Love and Thunder up to number three. Yep. I'll go with that. All right. So number
0: seven, What We Do in the Shadows. Number six, Eagle versus Shark. Number five, Thor. Ragnarok. Number four, Boy. Number three, Love and Thunder. So now we need to decide what the number two and number one Taika Waititi films are. It is between... Jojo Rabbit and Hunt for the Wilder People, two of his more recent films. Jojo Rabbit was the most recent feature film. I think Hunt for the Wilder People was the last project he did between Thor. So they're two of his last four movies. Billy, what do you think is the best Taika Waititi film? What should we put at the top of the list?
1: Jojo Rabbit, hands down.
0: I'm in the camp for Hunt for the Wilder People, and I believe it's... There are a couple of reasons why I believe in this film. A, I think it's a fantastic ride from beginning to end. Uh, I like how the protagonist subverts our expectations. Uh, I think the relationship between Ricky and Uncle Hector is really interesting. I think that it's interesting how he tells the unlikely survival of Ricky Baker in the bush. Um, I think the ending is just wild with the gun, and uh, I like the resolution at the end. So for me, I really liked Hunt for the Wilder People*. Uh, Billy, do you want to make a case for Jojo Rabbit? And then we'll hear Feeney's case for
1: her number one. Absolutely. Jojo Rabbit had done everything so very well. They had sad scenes in Hunter Wilder people. Absolutely. But these ones in Jojo Rabbit, the mother, um, uh, Captain K sacrificing himself. it um, was uh, tugged at the heartstrings. It was so funny at times to all of the characters were so well done in this entire movie i gotta give it to it i have to go number one because i could watch that movie a third time and still enjoy every single bit of it and watching it for the first time with my wife we both loved it and so that was a good time for me too that's another movie that i could watch with her so i love that at the same time too
0: and i'd say it's very very close for me so Feeney, what do you think is the best taika waititi film and why do you believe it should be number one
3: Oh, um,
0: no pressure. But it all comes down to you. This entire show—it's really kind of all up to you. Answer Phoenix, this question. So, uh, no pressure. Yeah. That's
3: yeah. For no sure. pressure at all. Um, I really truly enjoyed the hunt for the Wilder people, and I love the two main characters. I was a bit put off with um a couple of the supporting characters and the woman, uh, played by Rachel House. I just had a hard time with her character and her scenes and. It took away from the film for me a little bit. I just couldn't understand her drive in ways.
0: And it's interesting how... It's like a bit that just kept getting bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger, but the bit didn't exactly hit. Like, thinking back to Clerks 3, what they do with Elias and his lackey in that, and how that bit kept growing yeah. and kept getting better, in my opinion, throughout the movie. I feel like this tried to do something similar, but it just didn't land as well.
3: That's true, the Lies, but yeah, they they handled that very well. Um, in Clerks 3, um... Yeah, it's just her role was just a little bit too much, especially at the end with the chase scene. It was just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what's going on here? So, uh, I guess due to that fact, I would have to say probably Jojo Rabbit is number one because uh, a lot of the supporting characters were, you know, part ingrained in the story you could understand, especially Captain K, um, you know, the, the uh, girl eliza is it um elsa elsa and you know and it is gut-wrenching when you find out that his mother died and so i would have to probably say um jojo rabbit is number one
0: i before we put the final point on this discussion and officially announce number one number two i would just like to say thank you guys for not burying thor love and thunder like you did man from uncle and the guy richie show because that that one still hurts I can't believe you hated that film, honey. Well,
3: how do you think I'm going to feel about this one? Mm
0: Mm-hmm, (laughs) mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm the hero here, honey.
3: (laughs) No, I I believe Boy is probably his best film, and I'm going to die on that stake, but... um for the sake of ranking that we've done so far I'd say Jojo Rabbit.
0: I am so surprised having just watched all of these films with you and discussing them throughout the last couple of weeks with you. I th- I really thought that you were a little bit down on Jojo Rabbit. I thought it would have been maybe your lowest film.
3: I, I was I am down on it a little bit. It just it's not as strong at some points, but you know, as you think about it, you can see um the characters and talking about it further, but I truly enjoyed The Hunt for the Wilder People, but again, just thinking about secondary characters that help make up the film, I just, the the social worker just kind of drug that film down a little bit for me, so.
0: Sure. All right. Well, let's make it official. Number two, Hunt for the Wilder People. Number one, Jojo Rabbit. To recap our list. From worst Taika Waititi film to the best, number seven, What We Do in the Shadows, number six, Eagle vs. Shark, number five, Thor, Ragnarok, number four, Boy, number three, Thor, Love and Thunder, number two, Hunt for the Wilder People, and Hunt for One, Jojo Rabbit. One thing that I think is interesting about this discussion, and we'll wrap up in just a minute, but with most of the other directors that we've discussed, there's been a Mendoza line for me. There's been, like, everything below this line I don't like as much. Like, everything above this line is all pretty good, and, like, I enjoyed it all. For me, with Taika Waititi, there was no Mendoza line. Like, I I put What We Do in the Shadows at the bottom, and that was an easy call for me, but I still enjoyed it. Like, I don't think any of his feature films are bad. Is there, like, that cutoff line of quality for you guys, or... Are we
1: all in the same boat rowing the same direction here? I mean, I, I totally enjoyed myself for the last two days going through all of these movies and this content that we were going to talk about because I was really truly like, yeah, the stuff that I've seen is good, but like, ooh, the older movies, those are always going to be a real hit or miss type of thing. And wow, was I pleasantly surprised. So this this discussion... Ever since last night, and then watching Love and Thunder again, this to, right before we, I, I was really pumped for this one because I thought it was going to be like just the three of us, just really feeling good about <laughs> this entire discussion. We had little to no arguments this entire time. We we're up and uproaring at each other, and Tom's pissed because everything sucks, and you guys suck because you don't agree with me. And so I was totally. Totally floored by the fact that this went the way that it was.
0: Well, Billy, it, uh, differing viewpoints make for good radio, my friend. So uh, it's good
1: when we disagree. It's good when we come from differing
0: points of view. So, honey, I'm sorry it's that true. your beloved boy had to uh, sacrifice to make the show work.
1: And plus, your children are sleeping right now, and I don't want to go up in arms and get you guys riled up and wake them up. And I'm like, okay, well, see you guys later. <laughs> Talk to you next month. Well, speaking of next month, please join
0: us for a discussion of Firefly. We are rewatching the show and playing two Firefly board games. Feena, you're kind of the driving force for that one, too. We've had a couple of Firefly games that we've been interested in. You love the show. Are you excited to dive back into Firefly?
3: I'm very excited, and it'll be interesting to rewatch the show and the movie and play a couple games. So I'm very excited. It'll be fun to see what Casey thinks.
0: Yeah, Dr. C will be on that show with us. He has never seen Firefly. And he's never played a game before in his life either. So, like, he's coming at this like a brave new world. It should be a really interesting experience for Uh,
3: him. I'm just kind of curious what he thinks of Mal. That's going to be the, you know.
0: Yeah, given our differing takes on opinion or on characters, he's going to hate it with a burning, hate Mal with a burning, fiery passion. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you're listening on Stitcher, if you're listening on iHeart. Please take a moment, give us a review, hopefully with some positive remarks. And also consider supporting our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Like everyone that appears on the show is a full-time employee somewhere. Like this is a passion project for us and having your support to help pay for stuff is really uh just it really helps us out for phoenix at phoenixsidlogic o i o on instagram i'm logic at tomsidlogic o i o on twitter instagram and tiktok for phoenix for billy i'm tom we'll talk to you next month stay inside kids
1: bye <laughs>